And the motion picture is the most important art film ever devised by the human race. It is the, the art form that creates more empathy than any other. It creates our ability to step out of our own shoes. Welcome to the Great Movies. And when I go to the movies, a retrospective film review show, a podcast where we watch and discuss the films covered by Roger Ebert, seminal film that essay collection, to else. the Great Movies. And I'm Dylan Quayer. I'm Jana Gardner. A better person than to see good Today films. Today we are discussing the, the Apu trilogy. Is one of the most profoundly is, civilized uh, trilogy of movies. There are three movies that we can have. It is directed by Sasha Ray. It stars Subir Banjari, Pinaki Sengupta, and Samaran. Gopsal sure. and Sumita Shaturji as Apu, Karuna Banjari as Sarbajaya, the mother, and Kanu uh, Banjari as Harihar, the father. Um, it also stars Runiki Banjari as, and Uma Dasgupta as Durga, the sister, um, Chunibala Devi as Indir, and Sharmila Ten. Taguri as Aperna. You did oh, it. <laughs> that was worse than trying to read the Italian names on eight and a half and the French names on four and a half blows. I need an English language film to host you guys. <laughs> you, you do. <laughs> it's, it's a tough one. <laughs> the three films in the Apu trilogy are Patar Panchali, um, Aparajito, and Apur Samsara. Um, in English, which I can pronounce with a little bit more confidence, The Song of the Little Road, The Invanquished, and the world of Arpu. Um, I want to start by um, discussing a little bit about the cast. Um, most of the people in the cast were basically just unknowns. They found the actor that played Apu um, by Satajit uh, Ray's wife. Um, I believe her name is Bijori? I don't know. Sure. I think that's right. Something similar to that. Um, she found um, the kid that played Apu just on the street. And they used that instead of um, taking any of the actors that auditioned via newspapers. Um, I believe the actress that played Durga and the actress that played the mother had um, stage experience, um, but no movie experience, at least. And the only like identified um, actors, at least movie-wise, was the dad. And um, I saw on Wikipedia the... Um, the person that plays Indir was a, a, a popular actress, but I don't know if she was just a stage character actress or if she had film experience as well. But yeah, and it said she yeah, had it was kind of casted. I was say about the about the uh, actress who played the the auntie. I saw that she, or maybe it was Ebert talked about, she had acted a long time ago in the past, I believe, and then yeah. hadn't acted for a very long time since then. Hmm. Um. An interesting thing that uh, Ebert thought was um, she was the standout performance in the trilogies, the person that played Indir, and I thought she was very good, but I think that's a little incorrect. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go with standout. She's good. I mean, you know. She is very good. I think is really key to some of what's so great about the first film, but yeah, Mm -hmm. I don't know that I'd say like standout across the trilogy necessarily. I think maybe... um, the uh, Kanu Benjuri who, pl- or no, uh, Karuna Benjuri who no. plays the mother might be the one that stands out for me. Is Indir the auntie? Yes. Yeah. I think she has maybe not the best performance, but it's definitely what I think of when I think of Pather Panchali. Like, 
just mm-hmm. her, seeing someone like that on screen is so striking. Um, mm-hmm. Just like she's very kaifotic and but but still has so much attitude um, that I, I I think oh that's, yeah she's like a great representation of that that movie as a whole. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't mm-hmm. think she's the best performance, but man, she's so memorable. Yeah, she is agreed. Um, at least in adapting the first uh, movie, they um, stayed pretty close to the novel, from what it sounds like, and mainly some adjustments were just adjusting scenes orders or placement of scenes. Like um, I saw that. In the original story um, that it the uh, movie is based off of, um, Indir um, dies um, in the company of adults, I believe at a religious festival instead of kind of just in the woods alone. Who and Durg, yeah, and Apu and Durga just have to find her and God. like deal with the death face on themselves as children. Mm-hmm. Um, The production itself supposedly was pretty grueling as no one wanted to finance their project given no stars, no songs, and no real um, crew of any recognition at that point. Um, It was interesting to read that the main... Do you guys know how the main way they got funded? Didn't they? They showed like dailies to somebody and they're like, all right, let's do it. Yeah, um, Satyajit Ray's mother was friends with the chief minister of West Bengal, and they showed him footage, and he thought it was a documentary <laughs> to um, <laughs> uplift lower society, oh my and he recorded the loans in his governmental book as Roads Improvement because of the title Song for the Little Road. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's awesome. That is how they got their first round of funding, yeah. which I guess... I did notice that, like the production company on the on the credits for the like, where it says produced by, it's the government of West Bengal, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, that is strange that that came about. Yeah, um, and it it sounds like while that first um, loan was very helpful in starting the production, they routinely ran out of money and have mm-hmm. kept on having to look just for random sources to be able to continue funding the project. Um, the film, the first film, at least, I think the influence kind of fades a little bit by the third film, but it starts off very influenced um, by Italian neorealism and genre noir pictures. Um, I think the the genre noir influence definitely comes from him, uh, Satyajit Ray meeting genre noir while he was producing The River um, in India. And at first the reception was mostly positive when the film came out. Um, our good friend, Friend of the pod, Pauline Kale, um, <laughs> thought it was beautiful and full of love. Lindsay Anderson described the quality as unforgettable experience. Kurosawa says the film was overwhelming and stirs the passions. I, However, there was some... Yeah? I was going to say, I found another Kurosawa quote that was... He said that never seeing a Satyajit Ray film is like never having seen the sun or the moon. Jesus. It's... <laughs> I do not think that is apocryphal statement, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> um, there were some negative criticisms, though. The New York Times said it felt like a rough cut with a loose and listless structure. P- the people that could perfectly capture the idea of living in poverty. The Harvard Crimson said it was a chore to sit through. Oh, and 
uh, the great French director, Francois Truffaut, said, I don't want to see a movie of peasants eating with their hands. So to start off with your guys' initial thoughts on the movie, I thought it'd be interesting to hear your guys' response to both the positive and the negative criticism and how you guys relate to that. Well, the Truffaut quote is so ridiculous just because it's not even a reaction to the movie, right? Like, it's just saying, (laughs) I just don't want to watch a movie that's about this topic. Like, it's not, it's, (laughs) you know, I mean, it's, a terrible thing to say and it's just not even useful as it's not a comment on the film really at all um yeah so i mean i i do more understand like someone who might say well you know it's not tightly plotted or something i don't think that's a negative no but i can see that as a reaction i could see at least somebody having but i think it's the point right and that's what one of the things that works so well about the movie overall is that you're just immersed in this family, in this life, and life is not tightly plotted, and so you just sort of watch these things as they happen. And there's still a lot of exciting, you know, quote-unquote exciting events, you know, things that actually um, have a lot of tension and and conflict and things like that. It's just, you know, it kind of moves at its own pace, but it worked for me. Yeah, I I love the the two Kurosawa quotes, um, especially because these movies... um, all three of the movies in the trilogy are so really unlike any of his works that mm. I, I like it when yeah. directors are very into people who are dissimilar to their own style. Um, so like Scorsese or George Romero, both being very into the archers, I think is like really endearing. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I think is interesting about the Kurosawa quotes is that the other movie that we've talked about so far in the nine, well, I guess uh, like not, nine if we're counting this as one movie um, that we've covered is the other movie that he was really high on was the 400 blows and 400 blows I think is the movie that is the most like um, Mm -hmm. Pother Panchali of like all the things that we've covered like those two movies are the most similar and that's why it's so mind-blowing that did Truffaut even like had he even seen the movie when he made that (laughs) comment it's so it's like it's such a bad comment it's unfair it's you can say it. Racist. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> we got there. I, I was wondering if it was like, if I should at least um, give it a like maybe subconsciously racist, but no, nah, it's right. just racist. Like it's a, it's a ter- it's a terrible comment. It's not fair to the movie. I I doubt that he even saw the movie when he right. said it. It's it's ridiculous and it's so funny that his movie's so similar to this in so many ways that that he would say something like that. It's it's a bad comment and. He should be ashamed of himself. Right. It mm-hmm. seems hard to believe. Like, I mean, people can have their opinions, but it seems hard to believe that he wouldn't like the movie if he'd actually watched it. Like you said, just because it does seem so in line with mm-hmm. his interests and storytelling tendencies and things like that. Because, I mean, I, yeah, it's just it's so similar to 400 Blows, really, that it's kind <laughs> of funny. And, but, and the Kurosawa thing that's so fascinating, like you said, for a director who just doesn't make movies like this that these movies have seemed to really speak to him like he did Kurosawa as far as I can remember I haven't seen all of his movies but he doesn't tell like coming of age stories like you know it's just not (laughs) it's not something I would have thought of him being interested in before Mm -hmm. hearing his reaction Mm -hmm. to these movies I think Akira has some thematic um overlap at least with like the trajectory of life and sort of it, it's very uh, Ebert describes the Apu films as very dreamy, mm-hmm. and I think Akiru has that same sort of dreamy 
uh, style to it as it looks at life. But yeah, on the whole, Kurosawa is very different. Um, also, Scorsese, n- not very similar to the Apu trilogy, mm-hmm. but I've seen a lot of great um, Scorsese uh, videos mm-hmm. of him either introducing or memorializing um, mm-hmm. this trilogy mm-hmm. and Ray himself. And it seems like Ray was an important person to Scorsese's film watching experience as well. Yeah, and just uh, like tangentially from that, and it's going to come full circle. Uh, <laughs> One of Scorsese's favorite films is The River, which um, was the movie that uh, Jean Renoir was making in India. And Ray, like, gave him script notes on it, I guess. He'd, like, read through it. And this is all on a bonus feature on Criterion called uh, Jean Renoir, A Passage to India, I think. Mm-hmm. So so Ray wasn't actually working on the film, but he like took notes from the script and was like, hey, you shouldn't do this. And then I think he helped him with like location scouting and stuff. And later, um, when he actually saw the movie for the first time, not until the late 60s, they brought him and Renoir on stage together. And he was introduced as like somebody who owes uh, his career to Renoir, like mentoring him and uh, like encouraging him to make Pather Panchali, which happened during that time. And apparently after he was introduced that way, uh, Renoir said Ray didn't need my help at all. He, he had it in his blood. Mm-hmm. So it like so many well-known directors just like think the world of this guy in his films. Mm-hmm. He's the director's director. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's also just such a wonderful thing. I already love Jean Renoir because he makes such awesome movies but it's so great that he helped like start the career of one of the other greatest directors of all time that that handing off of the torch is so so, such a wonderful thing to hear about anyway um i want to kind of get into your guys's backgrounds um coming into the movie um what did you guys bring into this watch of the movie this was my first time watching these um Mm -hmm. i had had been on my sort of to-do list or watch list for years basically as soon as they became available on Criterion um, but I had just never made the time to sit and you know knowing that it's, it's a trilogy and I you know would have definitely would have always wanted to watch all three close together and not just you know one at a time um, so I didn't I didn't know much honestly I, I think I knew that it was like just the story of someone's life told in three parts mm-hmm. so I went in pretty um, just without any for knowledge or anything whatsoever. So it was, a, it was a fun experience to sort of know nothing about it and then go in and just have it all unfold. How did that no knowledge um, affect how you reacted to it, do you think? Um, I think it was helpful. Um, you know, it's one of those things where I sometimes struggle with movies that are sad. Um, and so I was a little <laughs> bit sort of worried, like, especially during the first one, I was like, oh, this is not going to really end well for <laughs> anybody. This is a tough <laughs> life. Um, and so, but it, it really makes it hit a lot harder, you know, especially all of the really sad things. Like, I mean, Dorga was my favorite character. Like I thought she was like, she She's, was a real standout That's the character that steals Pantar yeah, Panchali for me. Yeah, me too. I, she was just my favorite in that movie. And so, you know, once it was so funny because I had seen earlier in the day someone making a joke online about like watching old movies and uh, like, uh oh, it's raining. Like someone's going to get sick and die because in the <laughs> olden times that's what happened. And like they were talking about like Sense and Sensibility or like a Jane Austen thing where every time it rained, somebody would fall <laughs> ill. 
Um, and then I literally watched. And it's like Pedro everyone Pinchali. in this movie. Is- I know exactly. And then I watched the. I started watching that night, and so as soon as it was raining, I was kind of like, oh, oh no. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Very sad. Um, but yeah, I, I was glad to go in not knowing anything. Um, I think it probably felt just more immersive um, for me mm-hmm. watching it as it went. Nice, Nick. Um, so I'd seen this once before. It was in 2015 because uh, it played at the Cinematheque in Cleveland. And I knew a little bit about it because I knew that it was part of this trilogy. I knew that um, Pother Panchali was, I think, in the top 50 of the sight and sound list from 2012. So it was something that was on my radar, but at the time, really tough to find because I don't think Criterion had released mm-hmm. it yet. Um, but it, it was playing at the Cinematheque in Cleveland, so we decided to go. And I liked it. Uh, but it was at the time where I was like just finishing having to take like really long 24 hour calls mm-hmm. in, in the hospital. So my sleep schedule was all messed up. So I was like really tired. I remember being really tired and just like kind of fidgety and uncomfortable the entire time. So I kind of intellectually engaged with it, but didn't really emotionally engage with it as much. I mean, you still like it still is moving, but I, I'd never had it like, um, top tier, uh, cinematically just because it, it was sort of like um movie we're talking about next battleship potemkin where i was like oh yeah that's interesting and i can see how it influenced you know a whole you know the whole parallel cinema of india movement um but it didn't really connect with me too much more than that or at least as much as it did um this time so so i'd seen that I had never seen the other two uh, movies in the trilogy. I bought the Criterion Collection uh, sometime last year, um, but hadn't actually gotten around to them until just this past week or so. Are you glad you got around to seeing the whole trilogy as an entire story now? They're right. They're pretty good. We'll talk about them. <laughs> All right. No, they're great movies. They're they're incredible. Um, so yes, I'm very glad that. It, it was something that I probably would have gotten to this year, but especially with the podcast, um, I probably mm-hmm. got to it earlier in the year than I would have at least. So I'm very, uh, very happy to have finally knocked these off the bucket list. Yeah. What about you, Dylan? Um, I'd seen them once, um, probably in like 10th grade or something, um, just on a sketchy site. I remember, I, I don't remember if it was like Daily Motion or if it was some like weird other site, mm-hmm. but I remember the quality of the films watching them then were pretty poor. Um, I thought, at least watching them now um, on the Criterion channel in HD, they looked a lot better than I remembered it, um, which was nice. Um, I remember being very overwhelmed, which I know is exactly what Kurosawa said, but I just remember being. Very overwhelmed, especially with um, the first two and three quarters movies, because mm-hmm. um, something I talked a little bit about last time, which was this axis of how emotionally or intellectually like disturbing or challenging a movie can be without hindering my entertainment or enjoyment or thoughtfulness about this movie. And this movie would like ride the line on that for so long because... It's a very emotional journey, but there was so much, so many moments, especially in Fatar Panchali, of just heart and love and care between all the characters that it really was able to kind of elevate it above not just being an entirely downer movie. 
and when we'll get to the very end of the third movie uh, later in the podcast, that kind of capped it as just being a very special movie to be. Um, and on rewatch, it was that and more, and I'm very glad I got to rewatch it, especially on the Criterion channel, which has great qualities, mm-hmm. um, support film preservation in the Criterion yeah. channel. Yeah, it looked, yeah, uh, not sponsored content, but... Um... Yeah, it looked great. Um, there's a couple- Criterion can sponsor us if they want. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say I'm willing. To, I'm <laughs> yeah. absolutely willing. Yeah, absolutely. To we will take great movies podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Just reach out, Criterion. Um, the, I thought the quality looked really good. Um, you could tell there were certain like segments of the yeah. film that was a little bit more degraded or damaged. Um, you know, every once in a while there'd be certain scenes where you could see some of that. But overall, I was really impressed, especially going back and reading about like the sort of struggle they had had uh, remastering a lot of the film and the damage that had been done to it over the years. It's honestly so impressive that it Yeah, didn't it most of it burn in a fire? Yes, apparently. Yeah. yeah. And so... That, yeah. The, the original negatives in, in the bonus thing that uh, made by Koganata, which is on the Criterion channel, mm-hmm. um, they show the some of the reels that got burned and they're just like absolutely... They're destroyed. done. It took them eight, yeah, it took them eight months to remaster everything which is just like it's a crazy long Mm -hmm. time for you know just touching up things and adding new perforations and fixing the yeah sound Mm -hmm. on the reels so yeah they they put a lot of work into this Mm. and it it really came out very well um something you mentioned about the sound the first thing i want to say before we get into the story um is ravi shankar's um score of the movie um, this stood out to me. I did not really remember. I remember a lot of emotional and stuff, uh, beats, plot stuff from the first time I'd watched it, but I didn't really remember the Ravi Shankar score. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely hit me now. I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on the score. Oh, I, I think it's fantastic. I, 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 I really like, uh, Ravi Shankar, um, being a big Beatles person, which we'll talk about down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really familiar with a lot of his work from his collaborations with George Harrison and the Beatles. Um, and I've seen various like concerts and specials and things that he's performed in. Um, and so I, you know, I started watching the movie and immediately was like, well, is this Ravi Shankar? And looked it up and it was. Um, and I, the music, I think just flows really well in the movie. It's not leaned on too much. It's not one of those yeah. scores that's overpowering where it has to be in every second. Um, but when it does come in, I think it works really well, um, especially sort of some of the themes that get reused and come back. Um, I yeah, just added a lot to the movie for me. Nick? Yeah, I think it, it does a really good job of getting you into the setting of this village, um, especially in the mm-hmm. first one. It's uh, it just helps get you like in the, the mindset and the, the mood of the place. And um, I, my favorite use of music in the movie is towards the end of the first film when somebody is told something. I, I'll just yeah, say it when, when, the, when the mother's. Yeah, I guess we've already. <laughs> <laughs> everyone the, dies. When the, yeah, everyone, everyone who likes yeah. dies. Uh, when, when the mother is telling the father uh, that the uh, daughter Durga has died. Um, we don't actually hear it. We see her telling it, and you just hear. Uh, he, one of the bonus features explains ha- how he did it, but if he makes the instrument sound like it is wailing, right. 
and it's just like as the dead screams right as the dead yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's just an amazing use of, of uh music as mood setting mm-hmm. um so yeah the, i mean the score is an essential element to this movie yeah mm-hmm. i really I, that i'd say that piece really stood out to me it's sort of like that mournful element and then the other um piece of music or sort of theme that recurs is like what i think of as like young apu's theme i don't know if it's actually thought of that way but it's like this sort of like playful upbeat that like when he's running around a lot um it's very sweet yeah like when he's he's running around through um the woods and with his sister when he's you know in the happy times um there's kind of a nice like playful element to the the score it really does it really like works well with the mood Mm -hmm. i honestly um something i've been discussing with people as i've been watching movies this year because it's come up a couple of times of just best scored movies um I've I've seen uh, The Harder They Come recently, which is a Jamaican film, I believe. It's from the Caribbean. Um, And that has a great score to it. And also, very differently, on the other hand, a a Czech film called Marketa Lazarova, which has a very, like, Middle Ages-sounding score to it. And it is also incredible. And I think I'd have to put this up with those and some of the other best scores I've ever heard. I think this score was perfect. Um... Anyway, uh, getting into the movie, the movie kind of starts with um, Durga stealing some apples from a neighboring orchard. Um, Durga's got a bit of a stealing (laughs) issue. Yeah. She she would have a shoplifting problem if she was a modern uh, young woman. Yeah. I want to run. Right, exactly. (laughs) A lot of that energy. The mother... The mother, interestingly, gets um, frustrated, of course, with her daughter, but mostly blames Indir because she's just laughing and encouraging Durga from, by doing this. And it's interesting because th- there's this whole prologue of very young Durga mm-hmm. and the family. It's kind of showing you, like, the baseline for what it is before Apu comes in, which Apu doesn't come in for until, like, the 15-minute mm-hmm. mark. At which point it says he's born in January and work was found in the spring. And it almost kind of emphasizes that Apu, at least in the beginning, he he, he brings a sort of good luck to him. Mm-hmm. And um, what do you guys think of this whole uh, extended prologue that introduces the setting and some of the main characters besides our titular role? I, I liked it. I like how it, like you said, it sort of establishes the family and, and sort of the mm-hmm. world that Apu comes into, really. Um, it was mildly confusing for me at first, just because, yeah, I was like, this movie's about a little boy, right? And then I'm like, that's a little girl. <laughs> and so it took, it took me probably five minutes to be like, oh, okay, they're going to have to jump forward in time at some point. Um, but I do like that we really get, like, you know, the world, yeah, that, that he enters into. So we see what life is like for the family, and you know when Apu first joins them. Yeah, it sets up a lot of like the themes of the movie uh, well early on. So um, their financial struggles and how that influences their relationship with the neighbors, the mom's, I guess, bad relationship with the mm-hmm. aunt, and then it's not entirely terrible although she does beat her later but she has a more like authoritarian relationship with the daughter than the father does the father is shown to be um like i guess i think the first time we see him is like azapu is being delivered and he's yeah. just kind of useless he's like useless pacing around the way fathers <laughs> used to do not that they're 
doing that much work <laughs> nowadays anyway. Um, but it shows that like the mom is the one who is the, uh, like the boss of the family, regardless of mm-hmm. whether or not the father's the one doing like earning the, the living, which he doesn't do a great job of no. anyway. Yeah. Um, the, the mom is really like, for better or for worse, the, the leader of the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's at least the active agent, I would say, yeah. if, of the right. two parenting roles. Yeah, and she's not perfect, but I no. mean, she, you see that she's also got, like, she has a lot more on um, her shoulders than the father does or anyone else does in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting when this uh, part of the movie started, I didn't remember that there was this prologue leading up to the birth of Apu. I kind of just remember it started with Apu and the sister, because mm-hmm. um, that's the awesome part of the first movie to me. Um, and so when I saw Durga, I was like, I could have sworn she was like 10 years older than this. But, so that was good. Yes, I was. That part of my memory at least held up. Um, I love the uh, passage of time because it basically cuts between um, the shots of the animals that are walking around um, the house where Apu's being born in. And it cuts to what looks like the exact same animals and they're bigger. Mm-hmm. And that's just such a perfect way to emphasize that this cut in between time, they don't have, I don't believe they have to say like 10 years later, right. but you can tell these animals that are kind of young and mm-hmm. stuff um, around this household. Cause there are a lot of animals around this household. Oh, yeah. If I'd have thought about it earlier, I would have had love to have like an animal log of all the animals that show up I, in these movies. I kind of started thinking about it. Yeah. Like halfway through after I would have already missed a bunch, but there's so yeah. many kittens like just running Oh, they're around, so cute. And they're so cute. Um, yeah. And the dog and they got their cows and they're just, yeah, the animals are just coming and going. Mm hmm. Um, so it kind of starts with uh, Apu and Durga in school also. Um, and they don't exactly affirm to the authority, I would say. Um, they're kind of just played like tic-tac-toe at school. They're not mm-hmm. paying super amount of attention. And uh, the headmaster slash teacher is not happy with them. Um, and most of the first half of this movie is kind of just setting up the relationship between Apu and Durga. Um, what did you guys think of the relationship between these two main characters? I think it's great. It feels very um, real in the way that siblings are, especially given like their age mm-hmm. range where they, they generally get along. But at times he like he goes through her stuff and takes something to make like a, a hat or a helmet or whatever it is, yeah. the thing with the foil. Yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and then she and then she chases him around. That feels very yes. real. Yeah, um, and, and she's not super angry about it, but she's just annoyed. And once she catches him, they're back to just playing. But I love seeing them fight and make up and just be friends because that's mm-hmm. so nice. <laughs> before everything yeah. happens afterwards. Yeah, and then like their relationship, obviously builds to where she's more of like the protective type mm-hmm. and she's the one who's showing him new things um i i love the way this relationship develops yeah i i Jenna? do too i totally agree um their their interplay their relationship was definitely the highlight of the first film for me um 
I don't have any siblings, but it felt very real just based on, you know, observations and people that I know and sibling interactions that I've seen. So it felt very natural and very realistic. And I did like, especially as time goes on, like Nick was saying, you know, she really takes on this role of protector and teacher. Um, and you can just tell how much he looks up to her, um, which is so wonderful for the first, you know, three quarters of the movie. <laughs> it's what makes the ending so, so, I mean, even more sad than it just would be anyway because you can just tell like what an actual role model she is for him how much he looks up to her and admires her um you know and it's it's sweet it's just a really sweet part of the story Hmm. nick do you have siblings yeah i have a younger brother and younger sister uh three and six years younger than me respectively Hmm. yeah did you have a similar relationship to them as uh durga did to apu (laughs) as you were the older one um no i wasn't as good of an older sibling (laughs) I think I'd like to think that now I am now that I'm I like I haven't died from uh, <laughs> consumption or whatever uh, <laughs> that I've I've managed to like grow into the the Durga role but I was probably not like the most uh, like I don't know I wasn't terrible like I wasn't terrible or, a nightmare <laughs> or anything but uh, you know that's it's a high thing to have to aspire to I, I don't want to <laughs> toot my own horn that much you're the you're you have one younger sibling correct uh, yeah, I have a younger brother. Um, I, I, I'm very different from my younger brother, I would say. I'm, I like to be very active, and um, I think he, he's very quiet and would rather be left alone a lot of the time. <laughs> so I don't know if we necessarily had the setup to have a sort of Durga Napu role, but as much as we could, I think we are, we, we are very close as siblings go. Um so that's that that is kind of there um and so this brings up something i i want to keep on asking nick as we talk about this podcast as you're the only parent here um have have you seen any of this kind of thing in your your kids and um if if watching this as a parent because i think a lot of it is almost seen from an outsider's eyes as like the mom's eyes almost as they play around instead of like specifically the kids' eyes as they're playing around, did any of this kind of, like, ring true to you as you have become a parent since you first watched the movie? Um, uh, sort of. Like, I mean, it's tough to say, uh, like, watching my kids with the sibling dynamic just because it's only yeah. been uh, a couple months. Um, <laughs> I think he, my daughter will be this type. She's very into, like, being an older sister, which is which is very nice. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's tough to say. Sure. <laughs> Maybe just at least from the single child perspective, did you did you see the kids differently now that you have your own kid, is what I would say. Not really, because what, what you were saying about perspective, um, I feel like the first movie is actually more from Apu's point of view. Like, mm. I know it's the Apu trilogy, Um and I went into the movie the first time I saw it thinking it was going to be all about this boy, but it's really more about the daughter and the mother. And I feel like it's, it's like, um, up whose perspective of seeing this. Uh, and I think that's kind of like visually hinted at when the first time we see him as a boy, it's like his eye being opened mm-hmm. up. Um, so I feel like this is, it's not Apu's movie, but it's Apu seeing, um, like Durga and his mother's movie. So <laughs> I, I, 
see this movie as more of like um, someone seeing their older family members rather than parents seeing their children. That's interesting. Um, I definitely think it's something you kind of noted, at least in the first two films, Apu is almost a bystander where the women in his life maybe take up more of the arc and the plot in the first one with Durga and the mom and the second one with more specifically uh, the mom. And I just think that's interesting given the whole thing is the Apu trilogy. And really it's only until the third movie that Apu I think is genuinely front and center <laughs> in the story and the development. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it in the third movie, it then adds another female character, which also has a very uh, like a substantial arc of her own. Um, I think one of the f- big things in these scenes uh, in Patar Panchali that comes back repeatedly and repeatedly to the point, it, like I feel like if I was given a slideshow and a TED talk, I would get like all Charlie Day from It's Sunny. <laughs> it's always sunny in Philadelphia, like being so conspiracy theory with like all these like lines connecting stuff, but specifically about the idea of the train um, yep. in the trilogy. And um, it starts to come in early in these movies and specifically later, maybe towards like the middle um, about how they're living at home. They can always hear the train whistle. And at some point they're able to, they escape far enough from their home village to see the actual black train in the distance. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure we're going to keep on getting into all the train vi- <laughs> visual metaphors and stuff throughout all these films, but um, at least up front, what did you guys take from the uh, the metaphor and the symbol of the train in the uh, early on between um, how Durga and Apu saw it? Right. Well, we like you said, it. I think the role that it plays evolves throughout the movies um, and what it represents mm-hmm. and, and means to Apu specifically. But at first, it's just definitely this symbol of sort of life beyond where they are. You know, they're in this very sort of remote rural village. Um, and like you said, they explore further and further and they do make it all the way to see the train. And so you have this big you know, symbol of industrialism and technology <laughs> and future and the city. Um, and it's so, and the way it's shot too, where it's so dark and there's the dark smoke and the dark train and it's so contrasted from this rural nature centric uh, existence that they've been living. So it's kind of like the symbol of this outside force that maybe it's aspirational, maybe it's not. It's just the world beyond what they have, you know, access to at that point in their lives. Yeah, even visually, the use of, like, this black train with the black yeah. smoke stands out just to your eye against, like, the the very light-colored vegetation mm-hmm. that they're running through. Um, and, yeah, I agree. It, it's, it's a symbol of, like, the traditional village that they have. They make a big deal about how they live in Harihar's ancestral home. Mm-hmm. Um, and the train represents modernism and kind of, like, the industrial future. And by the end of this first movie, they have to leave the ancestral home and they move to the city. Um, So I think the train, like in its most, that's it sort of represents like that transition between um, like traditional to modernism in the first movie. But I think overall throughout all the movies, the train really just represents um, 
transitions, like different transitions in life, right. um, the stages in life, and we'll get mm-hmm. to it throughout the other movies. But um, even in this movie specifically, what what happens after they see the train? Mm-hmm. Like, what is the very next thing that occurs? Is the the first big transition mm-hmm. for this family? Um, yeah, which is running into the auntie. Mm-hmm. Which I, I feel like I've kind of skipped over her. Um, do you guys want to say anything about Ender? She's not the biggest role in the movie, but I think she has a purpose to like the generation that's fading out. She has a lot of acceptance. I think it was Ebert that noted that she she gets get t- kick, kicked out of the house by the mother at mm-hmm. some point. Because she's, a couple times. Yeah. yeah <laughs> she's kind of just like mooching off their food mm-hmm. and just living what life she has left to live she is definitely accepting of whatever situation she can have at this point and when she goes to a a neighboring household which i i believe is another cousin or relative of harihar um she just says like can i stay here (laughs) she's not like begging she's just like "Eh, i'll give this a shot right um what, what did you guys think of Indir as a presence throughout the, at least the first half of the first movie? I like sort of your, the way you described her, I think is apt as like as a presence. Like she's just sort of always around. Mm-hmm. She's observing. She's maybe in the background. Um, she will interject to, you know, sort of egg on the kids sometimes and to fight <laughs> with the mom. Uh, so I liked that. aspect. Those scenes are of really it. cute. Right. Yeah. I liked that aspect of it, of just having her as this, presence because i think that is like you're saying she's she's just doing the best she can she has nowhere to go she has no you know close family um you know she's able to stay there because the dad you know has given her this place but the mom resents her being there because the mom can barely feed you know herself and her kids and now she has another mouth to feed and their big fight or one of their big fights they have a lot of big fights um is because she heard she was begging, right? Or panhandling, something mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, that is bringing shame on the family. And so it probably, I would imagine, if you were watching this movie, like, in India in the 50s when this came out, too, probably speaks a lot to the role of, you know, older family members and the sense of responsibility that people have and then the people who don't uh, to take care of, of people who find themselves at that age alone and with no one, no family to speak of, no one to take care of them. It's, it's sad. Her ending is really sad. Yeah. Um, I mean, if we look at her symbolically, she seems to symbolize like this old, like the tradition that the older India, um, and Durga to, in my mind anyway, represents like this newer, you know, she's, she's vivacious. She represents this future, even though, it doesn't pan out that way uh, f- for her, but um, those two, I think, kind of represent like both ends of that traditional modernism um, spectrum, which makes it really interesting that those two are the ones that are like most uh, in tune with each mm-hmm. other. Mm-hmm. Like they get along much better than uh, the mother does with either one of them. Right. Which is interesting. Like, yeah, because you have this mom who's in the middle who can't mm-hmm. really relate that closely with either of them on either yeah, side, no. which is interesting. Um, speaking of Durga um, and kind of her modernist side of things, um, she sadly accurately predicts a main thought of hers, which is she is becoming 
of age where she is about to start looking for a husband. And she says, I don't think I'm going to get married. Mm-hmm. And mm. I think to her, this is more of a statement of independence or at least for now, she's just, this isn't in her cards in her mind. Mm. This is not something that interests her. Um, and it's sad because no, she never gets married mm-hmm. simply because this sort of traditional family home in the end, it's kind of her downfall in mm-hmm. some sort of ways. Um, I, I want to get in a little bit to talking about the dad, who is a, I think my best word to describe him is he's very noble. Mm-hmm. He, he thinks he cares a lot, and I think his family matters to him, but he he doesn't take the action necessary to support them, in which he keeps on promising the holes in the house and the doors and the stuff will be fixed when he's able to get a good job. But for now, he wants to continue being sort of this um, priest that doesn't make a lot of money, though. Um, we're go- I think we'll talk about how that actually technically makes him one of the higher in the caste system. Um, and in the end, Durga gets sick, but it's not necessarily her sickness that kills her. It's because they don't really have a shelter for her to even recover in. And, um, yeah, I think that's just interesting way to have this modern character die in a traditionalist household that can't support her. What did, what did you guys think of the father that in his role with the, the family? Yeah. The, the dad character is really interesting to me because like you said, he does seem to mean so well. He, he does seem to think yes. he's doing the right thing. Um, you know, that it has this, you know, this is his job. This is sort of his role in society of what he's supposed to be doing. Um, you know, and how he sees himself as providing for his family. And he's, he seems so nice. He's, you know, he's a nice dad. He's nice with the kids. Yeah. Um, but then he also just, when he, he takes off, you know, again, to do the right thing to provide for his family and then doesn't write, doesn't stay in touch, you know, it's, and so I don't know if it's just that he's a little, cause he's also portrayed as maybe a little, I don't think scatterbrain's the word I'm looking for, but just more of a head in the clouds, you know, not thinking about the day-to-day realities of what his wife has to deal with to actually keep the family going. Um, and so, you know, he abandons his family in in service of trying to help them, but the consequences, you know, I don't I don't blame the mom for, you know, having been super upset about that even if their daughter had not died <laughs> while he was gone, <laughs> you know. It doesn't doesn't seem like he couldn't have just written some letters, maybe. So I'm not entirely sure what to make of of that. Because he's not careless or, or uncaring. He just, mm-hmm. I don't know, doesn't seem like he can be bothered so much. Yeah, exactly. Like, he, he's not a uncaring or unloving father. He, he wants to be a good father. And I think he thinks he's doing the right, right thing. But he doesn't always do it in the right way. Like, he, he um lets his job payments kind of slide for way too long. Um, he has an opportunity to do this other job that supposedly would make a lot of money, and he's like, oh, now it's not the right time. He goes away and just stays away for way too long. He, it seems like he, he wants to be doing the right thing, and he comes back, and he's very excited to see his family, and he's excited to bring these gifts to his children. Um, but he just, like, didn't think to write, so he's – Maybe a little bit inept, but he's not a bad person by any means. Mm -hmm. Something that kind of goes off of this in this time that um, the mom is alone. There's a lot of great 
scenes of without any sort of dialogue of just seeing how the mom is trying to take care of the family. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the best ones is she kind of pulls out this raggedy old chest and opens it up and there's all this really nice silverware mm-hmm. and uh, plates and stuff. And um, it is mentioned that this is from her wedding. Mm-hmm. So not only is it have uh, financial value, but it also has sentimental value. Mm-hmm. But she basically takes this chest of uh, uh, plate wear away and comes back with just a burlap sack with a bunch of rice. Mm-hmm. And it's this sort of sacrifice that the mom is making daily to take care of her family that um, I think really establishes the mom as... She she isn't the emotional side that Hari Har is. Um, she is more of the logical side. And it's almost a left brain, right brain sort of thing between the two parents. Mm-hmm. And she knows what needs to be done to take care of her family. And while she isn't like Hari Har being like the emotionally caring one, she is giving more to the family than I think the dad is at this point. And I think that scene really summed up well uh, how that sort of thing plays out uh what did you guys think of the mom what what took what what did you mainly take away from her role and basically what you said that it's just the contrast between her having to be so practical um and really figure out how to keep her family alive like just literally how to feed them and the sacrifices she had to make um she talks a couple of times probably more in the second movie um but she talks a couple of times sort of about the sacrifices she made and sort of the life she ended up with from, you know, having this husband and moving to that house and what, you know, she didn't have women in her situation just didn't really have any choices. You know, she, she had no control Mm -hmm. over how her life ended up. And so now she's, she ends up stuck and she obviously loves her kids very much too. Um, She just can't always express it uh, because she's just worried about, feeding them and keeping them out of trouble and (laughs) keeping the family together as best she can yeah at some point she makes a comment to hari har about i had dreams Mm -hmm. too oh that's a great comment you know there's the scene um that's hard to ignore where um like in terms of her character where she beats sturga after she's accused of stealing the necklace throws her out of the house Um, yeah yeah, but then we see later, like, when Durga is dying, mm-hmm. um, that she's, I mean, that's not a great thing, obviously. Right. It's a bad thing to to beat children. But, like, in, in the the final scene with Durga, like, she does love her. Oh, she yeah. does care for her. She does, she does do what she can. Mm-hmm. It's not, you don't, at, at that moment in the movie, you're not chastising her and thinking, like, oh, how did how dare you when you were so cruel to her before mm-hmm. you're just feeling for her mm-hmm. is like you know somebody who did something bad but you know i mean it's a it's a very complex um relationship between those two i think it's done very very well mm-hmm. right because like, like you said don't don't beat your children it's bad we're against right. it yeah, it's a bad yeah, thing yeah. um but want to be, be, <laughs> be clear we uh, are against that as an official <laughs> podcast policy but i and it's easier to be like a little bit forgiving when it's a fictional right thing and, just need to need to know, be 100 percent crystal time and place and you know yeah. the the circumstances being what they are yeah it obviously reflects very poorly on her but you do understand her 
anger and her frustration with her daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she maybe could have expressed it in a different way. But, you know, that, like I said, she's just trying to do what she can to keep her family alive. And here's Durga out running around and stealing things from people and causing trouble with the neighbors. And, um, you know, like I said, I don't think it's a reflection of her not loving her or anything like that. Her anger mm-hmm. and, and frustrations just sort of boiled over in that moment. But then you do really see when she's caring for her when she's sick, um, you know, and she's just sitting her and holding her and, you know, stroking her hair and and being this sort of very caring mother all the way to poor Durga's end. Uh-huh. Um, I, I think you definitely nailed it when you said that the time and the place was different. Mm-hmm. I think, like, sadly, this was a time and place where this sort of child... <laughs> Uh, punishment was more sure. common, I would say. Um, again, strict podcast policy: don't be children. Right. <laughs> but yeah, it's, but, it, um, it didn't feel out of it. Didn't like in the context, you know, it didn't seem shocking to me in a way. Like if, yeah. if that was happening in a movie set today, I think you'd have a harder time continuing to root for the mother after yeah. that. But th- the mother obviously has this like this fire in her where she is going to act when she feels like she needs to act. Mm -hmm. And I think that most comes up um, when Durga is sick, but there is the rainstorm at the night and she is literally like running around the house Mm -hmm. in the dark, trying to slam every door, hold every window. And that, that, that scene is very powerful to me. And I Mm -hmm. think Ebert mentioned something about it, how just like visceral that scene is of, she is doing everything she can to try to make the, um, the setting that her daughter yeah. is in safe and healthy for her to try to get back to health. And right. As much as she works, given the circumstances, she can mm-hmm. save her daughter. Yep. It's sad. Well, that's a bummer. I know. I'm like, it's sad. I don't <laughs> know. I don't know. That's <laughs> a bummer. I do love, uh, we can't, I, before we like, skip over it entirely the scene where she actually is doing the thing that gets her Mm -hmm. sick is just dancing around in the room Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um i think my favorite part of the movie is them dance like her dancing in the rain and then um she sees that apu's cold and she actually goes to Mm -hmm. him and wraps him like in her arms under the it's a great Mm -hmm. scene whatever whatever it is she's wearing um and just like she's there to protect Mm -hmm. him and the irony, of course, is that she's the one who's, mm-hmm. I don't think she's getting sick because she's protecting right. him. But um, either way, like, it's, she's already, you know, mm-hmm. what, whatever, exposed herself mm-hmm. to the elements to the point where she's going to catch something right. that's ultimately going to be fatal. And I believe her last line in the movie is to a boo where she says, like, we're going to go see the train when I get healthy. Yeah. And it's like, she if we're thinking about it symbolically again i don't want to bring out the charlie day um <laughs> board of thematic it's imagery about the train but this idea that um she almost believes she is about to make this she she will be in some part of her life to make this progress into more mm-hmm. modernity than uh she will ever get to and it's because that they don't have modern like medicine or mm-hmm. a, a modern household structure, even that the father didn't provide is, uh, they don't get to see the train. Yeah. Um, and so Durga dies 
and we all feel so terrible and who that's tough mm-hmm. and i they they don't really have a poo speak on the death but you can tell some part of him is gone as well he's very almost robotic mm-hmm. and just empty um acting after the the death has occurred and in the final scene um as they prepare to leave and they're cleaning out the house uh poo finds the bread necklace mm-hmm. um in her old room i think it's on like a windowsill the very yeah top it's of the like house. something on a high shelf or tucked away yeah up high, yeah and he throws it into like the little bit of a bog where the that's right outside the mm-hmm. ancestral family home and that's kind of how the movie closes. Um, what did you guys think of the the, the closing of Pater Panchali with this whole sequence? I mean, it's kind of felt inevitable, you know, especially at that point after after Durga has died and everything that there's just they, you know, they have to make a change, <laughs> um, you know, and, and yeah. kind of like what we were talking about with so much of the story being about progress and, you know, trying to make it work with the, in the traditional ways in the family home with the elderly relative and that's all gone and the auntie has died and now the daughter has died too. And it's time to try something different. So they're going to the city. Um, and I did like that moment of, of who finding the necklace and taking it away. I thought that was a nice closing moment for their relationship yeah and i love the shot of when he actually throws it into the the whatever it is whatever body of water it Mm -hmm. is where um the necklace going in breaks the surface Mm -hmm. and it scatters away all the leaves or whatever that are on the surface of the water and then they kind of like re um realign so that they're yeah so that they're like covering it back up. i like i love that too i thought that looked really great um to speak of just how well some of this is filmed, and we kind of mentioned it when we talked about how starkly contrasted the black train was from these very lighter tones of the jungle. Mm-hmm. It, it, you could almost, I mean, it's in very black and white, mm-hmm. um, but you can almost see like the green of the trees and the brown of the dirt. It's, it's very earthly mm-hmm. and very lighter toned. Um, I cannot believe that this dude had no prior experience with a camera <laughs> that shot this movie. And he just basically told Satyajit Ray, like, oh, I could film this. And then he borrowed a camera and filmed it. And it's so well filmed. Mm-hmm. And I am just can't express how impressed yeah. I am with how, how good the film looks. Yeah, I think he was a photographer, right, like a but he'd, photographer. Never done, he'd never shot video. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just very impressive to me. Mm-hmm. Either way, that is the end of Petar Panchali. Um, we kind of move to... Aparajito at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, some people were frustrated because it sounds like this movie was the most separated from the source material mm-hmm. than any of the other two. And the main portion of that was because they had to cut an entire character um, who was supposed to be Apu's girlfriend in Calcutta towards the second half of the movie, and she was actively convincing Apu to stay in Calcutta instead of going back to visiting her mother, oh, his mother. Um, and they had cast a character for this movie, or cast an actress for this uh, character, and um, at the very end, her husband did not allow her to take the role. Sure. And so instead of recasting it, the 
the the easiest thing for Satoji Ray to do was just he had to cut the character and just be like it's all on Apu about him staying in Calcutta and not coming home or writing as much. Um, what do you guys think the movie would have been like if there was this active agent that was kind of separating Apu from his mother? Worse. I think it would have been worse. worse. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah well, I, I think so yeah. too. This was a very good yeah, thing. Yeah, that, that worked out really well. Because um, the story, it's already so... Um, it just doesn't need it. And it feels more real and it's so much more meaningful if this is just about him you know he's just growing up this, this is was, him growing right, up that's what that's what you know shitty kids do like <laughs> you know when you're, you're 18 <laughs> or however old and you go off to school and you don't want to come home and you don't think about the fact you know what how that's going to make your parents feel um so it felt i yeah i don't think i would have liked that aside from it just being a obnoxious trope in storytelling to have like the evil yeah. wife or girlfriend, nagging nagging, girlfriend. right exactly yeah. Even even if it just beyond that, even if it wasn't, even if it was some other third party, you know, his boss wouldn't let him go home or something like that. Um, I still think it's so much more meaningful to the story that it's just up who growing up and hanging yeah. out at school. And that felt extremely real to me. Well, to jump to the very end of the movie, there's something that the mother says to the neighbor when she says, don't tell don't write to him and tell him that I'm mm-hmm. sick. Um, I want him to come home on right. his own. And adding that type of character mm-hmm. would be somebody who's keeping him from right. coming home instead of him keeping himself from coming home. So yeah, it's it's much better just being like his conflict with um, his mother versus Calcutta mm-hmm. kind of as a, as a whole thing rather than a specific person saying no state. Right, and she wants him, she wants him to want to come home. Yeah, it's not, it's mm-hmm. no, she doesn't want him to come home because he feels bad or she needs something she she wants him to want to be there which is so sad mm-hmm. um something i'm going to quickly mention that is more of a general idea of the entire trilogy which is i feel like these movies um and the story as a whole could very much fall into something that um i tried to find a better word for but i'm going to use it i'm going to call it the beth trope which is uh Beth from Little Women, which is the character... Yeah, I thought about Beth a lot. ...whose purpose is mainly to just die Mm -hmm. and add something to the main character. Um, And I don't want to speak ill of Lisa May Alcott or (laughs) any of the adaptions, because some of the adaptions, like Greta Gerwig's, like, they definitely make a fully formed character out of Mm -hmm. Beth. But um, this is something that happens where quite often characters are just stuck in to die and influence the main character Mm -hmm. and um the durga in the first movie the mother in the second movie Mm -hmm. and the wife in the third movie they all have their own arc Mm -hmm. and their role to play with apu alive rather than just dead which makes i think the tragedy and the transformation that occurs for apu a lot more meaningful Mm -hmm. than it would if if it was just sort of I'm trying. Do you guys know a better analogy than just Beth from Little Women? Because no, well, I still think Beth is a pretty good sure. character. Sure. No, I. What I was. I was going to make a like a fridging joke, um, but then it was going to be mm-hmm. glib, and I didn't want to. But um, fridging, if anyone hasn't heard the term before, relate is is used to describe circumstances where women are killed to motivate male characters to do Revenge. things. Yeah. <laughs> okay. They yeah. then have to go. Yeah. They have some motivation, and it comes from an old comic where. Um, a villain kills a character's wife or girlfriend and literally puts her into a refrigerator uh, for the hero to then find her and 
be all upset and have motivation. And so and this is not that's not at all what these movies are doing. But that was sort of a, one of my first thoughts was like, oh, my gosh, every movie is going to kill kill off at least one woman <laughs> two in the first one. If you count the ante um, to give up who, you know, moving through the stages of life, um, thankfully. Kills his dad too, so equal opportunity. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's not not just fatal for women. His dad, I, and I'll, I, I will say, it also feels realistic. Again, time and place. Like it's tough yes. to be a you know to live in poverty in the first half of the twentieth century. People did die, you know, younger and of all kinds of illnesses and things. And so, um, childbirth with the wife right. in the third one yeah. it is definitely something that feels more mm-hmm. you know 1910s 1920s and right. 2010s right. and 2020s exactly that was you know much more of a inherent risk just due to yeah mm-hmm. especially for women right yeah exactly and well, <laughs> men don't have <laughs> right yeah that's uh, less risky for the men um but i i do agree with you that all the women are they have their own arcs and their own stories they don't exist just to motivate yeah. Um, Apu, and that's very important for him on his journey, how each of the deaths affects him at different stages in his life, but it didn't feel cheap or anything to me. Yeah. Um, I brought this point up mainly because I wanted to say that if this character was here that was the only woman to live and it was specifically a one-dimensional character that was controlling Apu to stay away from oh, his mother. Oh, sure. Yeah, that would have been mm-hmm. bad. That would have felt even worse compared to, like, all the characters that actually had arcs right. and died. And all the, like, sort of, like, noble, good women, you know, died. Yes. And this one didn't. Yeah, that, that would have been bad also. So, another reason why it's good they ditched that character. Anyway, um... Something else I read about the production of the movie mm. was um, the uh, cinematographer actually in- created an entirely new way to lit- light movies, oh. which he created something called bounce lighting, which is by using the... Th- I, from what I understand, it's using things in the room to help light the scene sure. as you are um, filming mm-hmm. it. Which I just found it's interesting that, again, in more ways than one, uh, Satajit Ray and his crew are making things up and basically creating the next revolution of cinema as, as they're going it, through these movies from really, independent yeah. to produced Right. Movies. It really is remarkable that they apparently were just figuring this out as they went, you know, and just got a camera and just found people to be in the movies who some had acting experience and some didn't necessarily and just uh, figured it out. It is really mind boggling and makes it even more impressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, The film was received with uh, pretty high praise from people like Ebert and Berardin Delini. I knew I was going to stumble over the R's in that name. Mm Um, it won the Venice Film Festival, but uh, the chairman and uh, also filmmaker Rene Claire said uh, he didn't want to give um, Satyajit Ray the award because he believed that he needs to go away and learn how to make a film. Which again, these French directors always appreciating yeah. the work of the Indian yeah. cinema. Yeah. Ooh. And again, uh, circling back to Kurosawa, Kurosawa was the other big film at the Venice Film Festival that year with Throne of Blood, 
uh, Throne of Bloodlust to Aparajito. And uh, quoted by um, Kurosawa's daughter, uh, Akira Kurosawa later admitted it was absolutely, in capital letters, the right choice. <laughs> Which is pretty incredible scene as Throne of Blood is one of Kurosawa's most acclaimed pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, have yeah. either of you guys seen Throne of Blood? I yeah. have not. I was like looking at it on, it's on Criterion and or HBO, one of, one of those right now. And so I was looking at it and thinking about how I, I need to watch it because I know everybody <laughs> everybody loves that one. Um, it's very good. Yeah. Uh, Nick, yeah. how would you compare the two? <laughs> uh, I mean, they're wildly different. They're I, so I, I different. Think, I think I would have actually gone Throne of Blood over Aparajita, though. I mean, of the trilogy, it's not a bad movie by any means. It's still a very good movie. Um, but I think it's the weakest of the three, and Throne of Blood is awesome. <laughs> it's, it's maybe the <laughs> best uh, Shakespeare adaptation that I can think of. You know he made another Shakespeare adaptation called Ron and it's much better than Throne of Blood even. I've never I haven't oh, seen Ron. Ron's great. Ron is awesome dude. Seen. Yeah Ron's good. Uh, what's Throne of Blood? Is, is like Throne of Blood one. Macbeth? What's that? I'm just guessing based on the title. What's oh. Yeah. 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 It's cool. Macbeth. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. So to start the movie um, it's very interesting the way that um the uh, credits of the first two movies, at least, look like almost written in a book. Mm-hmm. And then it almost seems like these pages are flying by at the start of the second movie, but then it actually turns out to just be like the bars by the road mm-hmm. um, going by as they enter the city. And just seeing metal in that first opening shot is so wildly right. different from everything that came in Pedro mm-hmm. Panchali. Um, we see um, there's an awesome pan shot um over the ganges river mm-hmm. of just all these people like so many more people than we probably saw the entire first movie combined mm-hmm. just celebrating and eating and um being together um how did you guys react to like this difference immediately shown between the village and the and and the, the modern city in india yeah it was so striking i had the same reaction where it was it was jarring honestly to see the, these characters in such a wildly different environment uh like you said so many people um you know along the ganges and um in the city and all of this with yeah metal and buildings that have doors and things like that it's it was jarring but i think it was in a successful way to really demonstrate how different life is now for them and is going to be yeah one of the bonus features um that's called Aparajito, the small details. The guy that they interview in that says that um, the symbolism in this movie, he says, uh, A, is easy to understand for all Bengalis. And I feel like some of that may have been mm-hmm. lost on at least me, sure. um, mm-hmm. the the person in 2020 mm-hmm. living in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but he does say he does say that the, the town that they're in um, is basically like a melting pot of all the Indian subcultures. Mm-hmm. And that's so like, He's from, uh, like he's Bengali, but being in this new town, he's he's like exposed for the first time to Hindu speakers and and all these other different, um, like facets of Indian culture that he wouldn't have been exposed to before, and being in a city like that gives up who the like courage and life experience to to want to go on to Kolkata 
or you know in the subsequent movie be able to just kind of like wander around the country like as a vagrant because he'd you know been exposed to all these different areas uh just by being in that one city Mm -hmm. um and pretty quickly at this point the dad dies yeah Yeah. I I did enjoy the part in the show notes, Dylan, where it says fireworks, but then dad dies. It's like, yep, that's that's pretty much how it happens. I I wrote celebrations, markets, fireworks, and then dad dad dies. That pretty much is it. He he tries to go up the rocky steps and... Yeah, and so he he was already sick too, right? So like he also was out ill. That's another... Every movie you watch now is is just strange. It's strange times to be watching movies, but I'm just like, oh my god, you are sick! Don't go out there. All those people, like, <laughs> what are you doing? Um, and then I, yeah. I I thought that as well because he says he's like he he had he's he comes home and he's very mm-hmm. sick, and um, the wife is like, where were you? You were fine earlier, and he's like, I went to this market. I went to this market. I had service. On the Ganges, right. like in the river with a bunch of people. I went to like this other Ugh. place. I went to a temple. What a, and it's like. Yeah. What a contact <laughs> tracing nightmare that would be. <laughs> All those people. And it, it, it feels like the city, at least at this point in the 1910s and 20s, it's like it's on the edge of modernity mm-hmm. where they don't, they still don't have like adequate health care to be able to sure. take care of people if they're sick right. or be able to stop the spread of disease at all mm-hmm. and uh the dad is a casualty mm-hmm. of that being such an active role in the community mm-hmm. instead of kind of at home um and sadly ironically like one of the contributing factors they, they now have a home in a setting that mm-hmm. could hopefully keep them healthy mm-hmm. if they were sick which they didn't have for durga but the tradition of um celebration with fireworks i forget what festival it was for mm-hmm. um but that uh attributes to clogging his lungs as they are very right. sick at that point yeah. and that is kind of what leads to his mm-hmm. death um wh- wh- what did you guys think of the whole uh early scenes with the dad just kind of going to his death yeah, he's. They do give him like kind of a nice moment with Apu, mm-hmm. and he's he's learning. Um, what is he? Is he learning Hindi at that point? Or, or is I he think learning he's English? learning because I think he knows Bengali. Right, at this point. and I, th- yeah, I think he's yeah. learning Hindi. But isn't he also? He learn- does learn English. Isn't he also eventually. learning English? He does, definitely yeah. does learn English at one point. Okay, yeah. I can't remember which which uh, at this point um, what it was, but but he asks him to translate Apu as a good boy. Oh, that's a really uh, nice moment. Yeah, that moment really, I, I texted you guys while I was watching it, that moment really got me with, when he teaches him Apu is a good boy. Ugh. You made a great sound effect when uh, Nick said that. I know. It's just, yeah, that because as much as the dad, I you know, in the first movie, I was kind of conflicted about and I think is kind of a silly character. Like, you can tell how much he loved Apu. And especially, like, when he's dying, all he wants is for Apu. You know, he starts asking for Apu to come. Um, and I can't mm-hmm. remember he calls him. He calls him a different name. Um, yeah, that I'm not gonna guess at because I'm gonna say it wrong. But I don't know if it's like a nickname or a term of endearment or something. But he's call he calls him something yeah. else. Um, and you can tell that he just he just wants his son nearby, and it's sad. His his death was was pretty heartbreaking. I it made me more emotional than I expected because I wasn't super invested <laughs> in the dad character yeah. necessarily. In the way all of in all of these movies the death scenes are done it's never you never see someone die you see someone 
uh, either like after they're mm-hmm. dead or you, you like in it's this like one, right at the precipice. Yeah. Yeah. Actually in both, in both of the deaths in mm-hmm. this movie, it transitions with um, animal, like, like some, some other. Right. Like birds flying away, creature. I think is what we see. Yeah. 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 So in this one you hear, you hear him cry out as he drinks finally. And then you cut to this flock of mm-hmm. birds flying away and it's just an incredible cut yeah it's a Um, gut punch of cinema yeah and it's so much better and more interesting a way than just showing him like you know he stops breathing and his mouth hangs agape and his eyes are open and somebody has to like put their hand over his eyes what we've seen (laughs) a million times of like somewhat terribly acted death scenes where someone just sort of like their head their head flops over and then their eyes yeah but you hear him yelp and you cut to the Mm. birds flying away and it's like his soul is flying away it's just it's gorgeous Mm -hmm. it's taken with the birds um and then they move into a place with um i believe it's a poo's great uncle from what i I remember and there are so many monkeys oh my gosh the monkeys are great lots of monkeys yeah yeah they're very cute and they just start ringing the bells (laughs) as they start kind of throwing they're cute but also intimidating like that's that's a lot of monkeys to be surrounded by. I wouldn't by. want to get on the monkey's no, bad side. No, no, thank you. <laughs> There's a lot of them. Um, the mom also starts taking up work as a maid. Mm-hmm. Um, not only does she have to be the active participant at home taking care of the children, mm-hmm. but she almost has to take over the dad's role of also making them money. Mm-hmm. She seems so overwhelming and tough. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's now that we start seeing um, the actual characters on the train Mm-hmm. that were mentioned before um and i there was a great quote i believe it's in i found these essays um online from a person named norman holland on a website called a sharper focus where he had an essay for each of the three movies and i believe it's in the one about Aparigito, where um he mentions how this train of progress and modernity it simultaneously is bringing people together and taking them apart. And it's interesting to see like mm-hmm. the mom right now having to be separated um, by distance from Apu, who she has had to be so close with for so much of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you guys think of the mom's transition from, you know, being the caring household mom to now having to actively work and be the caring household mom? Yeah. In this movie compared to Padre Panchali, she's a lot more, passive and you just see how um you know the two tragic things that have happened to her in a span of just a few Mm -hmm. years of her daughter dying and then her husband dying have really just kind of broken her and all she has is a poo and granted she asserts herself a little bit with Mm -hmm. him um like when he wants to leave Mm -hmm. but um compared to the character that we see like running the household in the first one Mm -hmm. she has to like just kind of take a lot more crap in this movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, I, I feel like she's more, I mean, I was going to say she's more sympathetic in this one, but I don't know that that's entirely mm-hmm. true because the Durga scene yeah. dying at the end of the first one, but maybe overall from start to finish, she's, she, <laughs> God, she feels for much a second there, I thought she meant like, she just wasn't sympathetic in the <laughs> second movie. And I was like, Nick! no, 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 no. She, I mean, she feels so sad <laughs> in this. Like, Oh, I know. She's so beaten down. Her like you said, she has these empty <sighs> eyes. Yeah. It, it really is. It's like, yeah, her, her spirit's been broken. You know, you can just tell that she, you know, she lost her daughter. She lost her husband. 
Um, she has no one. In, she's lost both the houses. She's lost both of her houses. Um, she has no one left in the world except for her, you know, teenage son, um, which is a tough spot to be in. And <laughs> yeah, she just. Yeah, she just she seems just like the world's beaten her down, and she's just now. I think passive is a good thing to say. She's just she's just doing what she has to do um, to to keep going. Mm-hmm. It's also at this point that Apu begins to start school, um, which I don't know if it was different in um, Bengali and Indian culture back then, but it just seems like a very late age to be starting school, at least. But mm-hmm. by the way, um, Apu does, and um, it's because. I think the mom and others, including the great uncle, I believe at one point, they're they're trying to get him to become a priest like his mm-hmm. uh, father was. Mm-hmm. And pretty quickly, you can tell he is ab- has absolutely zero interest in that. He'd rather learn about reading and about history mm-hmm. and about social studies. And there's a great scene where he comes up in this mask in this shield. He just screams Africa, <laughs> and he just goes running out of the house. That's funny. <laughs> um, yeah, um, I just found it interesting that. They tried to push this narrative of becoming the priest that the father already had mm-hmm. and kind of failed with. Yeah. Um, what did you guys think of this, these scenes of Apu's early education? Well, it's definitely a theme, I think, of his, right, like rejecting his sort of inherited family profession. Um, you know, it's, it, and that's it's true in a lot of societies where, you know, your father did something. So you're going to do something. You know, your father was in this situation. Your father was a priest. And so that's the role men play in your family. And so that's what you're going to do. And we see Apu slowly rejecting that. He kind of goes along with it at first um, or seems kind of resigned to it. But then once he has a little bit more opportunities to start a broader education, you can tell pretty quickly. And he can tell pretty quickly that he wants different things which i you know is fair <laughs> i think everyone wants to Good be able him. to decide what they want to do with their lives yeah nick yeah i agree i mean he he seems to be very good at school too which i think is important mm-hmm. because it kind of leads him to being able to mm-hmm. um even get out of town to calcutta because he needs part of a the scholarship to to make it there mm-hmm. in the first movie he seems like such an observer and in this he's 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 like uh still being a sponge mm-hmm. for you know academics mm-hmm. um i and this leads to him as you mentioned uh getting this scholarship to calcutta um he he's very excited he comes home and at first the mother is excited but it sounds like she's excited because she thinks it's more of a priest opportunity mm-hmm. than a school opportunity yeah um, i like yeah, i like the scene we kind of went past it but where he gets the scholarship uh when he sort of shows off yeah. for the the dignitary or whoever the guy is i really like the character he's had a fun look the guy who comes to the school he's like the big dude in the suit um yeah and is impressed by apu um but yeah it's you know it is this great news like he's getting this scholarship um to give him this opportunity that he'd never have any chance at otherwise but like you said his mom is she goes back and forth obviously she's she's excited at first then when she realizes what it's actually going to entail then not so much, yeah. and then she, you know, she comes around. She comes yeah, she comes. nervous about the time right now. Because I was gonna say like, oh, we could do like a half and half, and it's like, well, it's kind of hard because it's three. Like, where do you really stop to yeah. do half and half? Um, and I find it so interesting that it's two. It's apparently it's two books, right? So they made uh, the three movies out of the two books. So this middle movie kind of spans the final section of the first book, and then like the first 
section of the second one, which I think is interesting. And I almost wonder if they cut out the very end of the first book because they just didn't have the money to actually to go, go to, to Calcutta city. and film on location. Yeah, it, it makes... I, I like how it's divided in the movie better than if, you know, like I said, if it had ended with them just yeah. being in the city. Well, they could have used their, their rear screen projection like they use in All About <laughs> exactly. Eve. For... That's true. They could have had them walking down the street with, like, a cityscape <laughs> projected behind them in very convincing manner. Um, you imagine, what do, like, I know this was three episodes ago or whatever but what yeah it's so strange i i never actually got any sort of answer as to why like it's not why? something it's not like they're in front of mount rushmore or something they're just walking down a city street like that could be literally anywhere it's not some small indie right, production exactly. it's not pother right. panchali like this had yeah, freaking betty davis in it. Panchali, i would have been like oh good for them using resources you know telling them now no, figuring it out uh-huh. yeah. all right um, something that I also really appreciate in this scene where he announces his scholarship to his mom is his hands come out of the screen and he just goes, do you know what this is? And he's holding the goddamn world in oh, his hands, right. yeah. which is like nail meat head of symbolism. Right, It's not not the most subtle of uh, points that they make. <laughs> but yeah. I like that he brings once the mom kind of comes around and she's like, you know what? This is what my son wants. I will support him. Mm-hmm. Um he, he he goes back to it. He's like, it's a globe. It's like, it's not the world. It's right. just the globe yeah. to him. And he's like, do you want to know where we are and where Calcutta is? And I'm just thinking on this little three inch diameter globe, mm-hmm. it's going to be like <laughs> right. this thumbnail. Right. Move the thumbnail a millimeter. Hey, hey. Anyway, um, so he goes away to Calcutta, which is very different. Um, the streets are bustling. Um, he goes into the college and he um I, I find it interesting he meets this person that i think also comes back in the third movie who just kind of like runs the front of the house and just opens letters and <laughs> you know is introducing him to this this new uh, uh place mm-hmm. but uh, a couple times in the movie he does come back home and i think that's where a lot of like the real heart of the movie comes in which is the mom desperately and kind of failing trying to keep him there mm-hmm, yeah. and it's really sad she wants him to write more yeah. um i like though like apu definitely he doesn't hate his mom he's not uncaring no. but when he comes home he just kind of answers monosyllabically and is mainly just reading and if mom his mom asks him a question he'll just answer it and just keep on reading or keep on sleeping which is the most college kid thing that's ever just being around a bunch of college kids my age right, right now that's what's so funny about it to me is so, it's I mean, so re- like that's how kids are today like kids come back home from college or whatever yeah. and they just want to sleep or watch tv or text with their friends and don't want to talk to their parents and you know <laughs> timeless timeless story uh, and, and, and usually they don't hate their parents right. it's no, just it's not like about that he just that's just the background yeah. you know Totally. It's super yeah. relatable. <laughs> Nick, are you ready for Evie to do that to you? <laughs> right. Absolutely like, not. No, not <laughs> no. No. Fifteen years from now, we'll we'll re because I think it's in one of the books. We'll rewatch Late Spring, and I'll just uh, I won't have a good time. <laughs> it, it, will, it will be a very upsetting Gosh. episode. <laughs> You'll just be peeling an apple in the background <laughs> solidly as, I, as we discuss the movie. Well, I was going to say, even, like, 15 years oh. from now, go watch, like, Lady Bird and see how <laughs> you feel, you mm-hmm. know? Oh, my God. Well, that one even... 
I don't. I don't need to wait for that. <laughs> that'll, right, that'll yeah. do it for me now. Um, it, it's actually funny that that um, late spring comes up because uh, late spring and Pather Panchali, at least as far as I can think, are the only two movies that I know of that have made Nelly cry. Oh wow! Oh really? <laughs> yeah, lots of TV shows have like multiple Doctor <laughs> Who episodes. Have. <laughs> um, I think Game of Thrones has. But then, like, these are the only two movies that I can think of. Like, Grave of the Fireflies didn't. Oh, my Farewell gosh. Didn't. Oh, Pad- Paddington 2 did. Sorry. Of course. Of course. How do you not cry at the end of Paddington 2? It's impossible. My God. Yeah. Happy birthday, at least. Uh, oh, Co- Coco. Oh, okay, okay. Coco did. Oh, oh Coco. like 10 times in Coco. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Okay. So so <laughs> it's not just these two. But these are, like, the two, the two like, uh, like yeah. old world cinema ones that... that made her cry anyways it, it, it was interesting because when he leaves on the train um the second time well I, i'd like to talk about the train the first time because she doesn't wake him up on time specifically because he'll miss his train mm-hmm. and he'll mm-hmm. stay another day which i'm glad he wasn't like super mad about he was like oh, it's just one day right. and he comes back and he's pretty cool about it and but when he leaves he he, he doesn't even say goodbye to yeah. her he's just like oh i'm i'm late and he takes right. his crap and and goes without <laughs> even such a college kid yeah. thing Yep. Nick's looking oh, into the future. <laughs> Show some respect. <laughs> but at least the second time when he does officially leave, I just I wanted to go and be um oh what's the actor that plays the dad in Lady Bird? What's his name? Tracy uh, Letts. Tracy yes, Letts. I wanted to just be like Tracy Letts and just go over and hold the mom like he does with Laurie McKevin and just be like, She'll be back. Yeah. That line, that one line. Oh. It's destructive. Yeah. But I that that one line in that scene resonated with me in my head, at least at that point. Mm. <sighs> anyway. And at some point, he won't come back. Because as much as she writes, um, she doesn't want to inform him of her impending illness. He, he She does kind of guilt him at some point when he is back. Like, you know, I'm not, I haven't been super healthy. I've been getting sick yeah. more often. You know, you need to come back because... You know what sickness can lead to. Right, and I was right, like, yeah. Woo! Well, and she really only tells him, though, like, she has, when she's sort of telling him that she's actually seriously sick, it's like he's already fallen asleep, right? Isn't there that yeah. one scene where, or, like, <laughs> she was talking to him and then he just, he's asleep again, you know? And so she kind of just shrugs and, um, yeah. Just like kids. But she has, she has one of those, like, mystery yeah. illnesses that people get in movies where, you know, I don't know if it's, like, something now that we would know to be cancer or something like that. But yeah. she just doesn't feel well and then progressively feels worse. And all of her neighbors know she doesn't feel well. And she just seems to, like, know that she's dying but doesn't really seem to have any ability to get any sort of treatment. Um, it's very sad. It's just, like, there's a term in medicine, which is NOS, which is not otherwise uh. specified. So it's just like disease right. NOS. She has fevers. <laughs> right. She's not doing well. We don't need to right. know more about it. Like whether it's infection or cancer or what. She doesn't really matter. Sadness, we don't need to loneliness. Like, <laughs> like it's all. All right. of the above. Yeah. 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 Really, it, it's just Exa- her heart Kind break. of. Yeah. She, she, she much like uh, Padme Amidala <laughs> died of a broken heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course. Um, which you can like technically there's a thing. Wow. Medical corner. It's yes. medical corner. Uh, <laughs> there's a there's a thing called Takasubo myo- uh, cardiomyopathy, or no, just myopathy. Um, but that's basically like a very bad stress response gives you cardiac there you dysfunction. Go. So maybe there that's what we- she's having. She's having the most protracted <laughs> right. case of it. Um, 
one thing I, I like about Apu's reaction to her, like saying, hey, write me more and come home more often is he's like, oh, I, he doesn't say no. He says, I, I can't, I'm busy. And he makes these excuses. They're like, oh, like when I, to his friend, he's like, when I go home, I can't mm-hmm. really study. Yeah. And it sounds, and it feels like one of those excuses where he knows he doesn't mean it, but he's mm-hmm. trying to convince himself so mm-hmm. that he doesn't feel guilty for right. not going home. And he, he assumes like some point in the future, like, oh, one, two. Yeah. Uh, the studies yeah, will be yeah. better. The situation will be better. I still li- love my mom, right. but it's just not the forefront of my mind right, right now. And he tells her in the letters, you know, oh, I can't come home. It would take away from my studies. And that's something she repeats, too, where it's like, you know, don't do, you know, she tells, I can't remember if she says it in the letter to him or when she's talking to one of the neighbors who's like. She says oh. it when he he's late for the train right, and like, she says, what about your studies? And he's like, oh, it's just a day. Right, exactly. And so she, she doesn't, she, and I think she sincerely doesn't want to do anything that's going to take away from his studies and then yeah. he kind of just adopts that and then of course we see him getting you know falling asleep in class or ditching classes and you know <laughs> not it's not exactly like he is the most you know, studious he probably could take <laughs> a day or two maybe to go see his mom there's very strong correlations between college-age kids and what happens yeah. in 1920s oh, yeah. up here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway um so finally the neighbor takes it upon herself to write to mm-hmm. Apu and just be like, your mom is really sick. Right, yeah. Like you need to come mm-hmm. home now. Right. And I, I'm glad that Apu is just like, it, it finally hits me. It's like, okay, action really needs to be taken. Mm-hmm. But just like his goddamn dad, it's just too late. Yeah. And he gets there. The mom has already died. Mm-hmm. It sounds very, like very recently mm-hmm. because the neighbor starts talking to him about, um, Apu performing the last rites, mm-hmm. basically, or um, I, I forget exactly what the term is for Apu. Right, but um, according to their religion, but it's basically something. the last. Yeah. It's it's basically the last rites, mm-hmm. um, and he says they'll do it in Calcutta, which is heartbreaking because right. he can't, he just he can't even stay mm-hmm. for that. But yeah, but I mean at that point. He doesn't really have like the one reason for him to go back is yeah. gone. Right. So, the all of his life now is in Calcutta. Um, her her death scene and like the minute or two leading up to it, where she thinks she hears his voice and she goes into oh. the house, are just <sighs> yeah. fucking. I yeah. audibly well. <laughs> yeah. Just oh. Yeah. And then like the father instead of um the birds, we see the the fireflies mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like just, just another gorgeous way to depict somebody dying. yeah i love that shot of the the fireflies at the end too yeah, yeah. and I'm that's what i so that's like the visual that i have in my head mm-hmm. for this movie is like when i think of this movie because I, I watched it maybe a week and a half ago or so and like every time i think about this movie that's what keeps coming back mm-hmm. is just the fireflies flickering mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and a poo genuinely is heartbroken even though he doesn't want to perform the last rites right then he's he he just kind of collapses in the tree outside the house just he just cries and Mm -hmm. again audible yelp (laughs) coming from my end of the, the screen um and i think it ends so perfectly with this final shot of the old neighbor as he watches a poo from a distance through this empty archway that the 
repeatedly and shown in the movie in like i swear the exact same they have the marking place so specifically of where they would keep on showing the mom watching a poo go um as she's standing in the archway and instead it's an empty archway and way in the back Mm -hmm. it's just this neighbor that yeah was the only person there for the mom is she died and a poo leaves to go back Mm -hmm. um how did that very last shot impact you guys um in your watch it's sad. I thought it was a, you know, it's, it's, the whole ending is so heartbreaking. I actually, I don't know, I, I liked all the movies about the same, but this one was actually pretty high for me just because I thought it's a it's a really simple story. It's really, the, the whole movie really is just more or less about Apu and his mother's relationship and sort of the diverging paths their lives take. Um, so that sort of the ultimate sign of her absence at the end that she's not there anymore I thought was so heartbreaking mm-hmm. yeah and like this is probably least favorite <laughs> isn't even the right term for it it's it's a 99 it's out of 100 <laughs> it's my it's my th- I'll say it's my third oh, yeah. favorite of the three wonderful um, like, but the end is so fantastic it's just it, it I think it kind of sags in the middle um, like mm-hmm. as he's like preparing to go to school and then the first bits of him at school I think lag mm-hmm. Um, which keep it from being, you know, my favorite of the three. But uh, the the end is it, such yeah. a gut punch. I'm just gonna be in the background peeling an apple after, yeah. at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen Late Spring, Jana? I have not. I have not seen any Ozu movies. Oh. So. Oh. I know. I know. <laughs> Dylan's horrified. We do. There's so, there's we do something. Tokyo Story, right? in this book we do no there's story. no tokyo story until like book three or something the only one he has is floating weeds oh that's what it is floating weeds I've, i mean tokyo story should have been in the first book yes unless he, unless he knew he was doing 400 movies uh ridiculous yeah that's whatever floating weeds is good too we'll get to it and i think late spring is in book two i think it was floating weeds late spring and then tokyo story which would be in like Exactly the reverse order. <laughs> um, anyway, um, there's something with a... At, it, late spring ends with someone peeling an apple. And I won't give you more context than that, but that's why gotcha. I keep it I too. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <clears throat> so, on to the final mm-hmm. one. Uh, Apur Sansar, or The World of Arpu. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the production notes I have um, at the beginning, which was... Uh, Shatuchi, who 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 plays uh, adult Apu in this movie, um, he was not an actor, a set actor at this point, um, and he actually auditioned for adolescent Apu, um, the second half of Aparajito. Mm-hmm. Um, but according to Satoshi Ray, he was just too old for the role. Uh, but he really liked him, and he kept him in mind. And um, he decided when he was going to make the third one, he was like, "Oh, Shatuchi, like." That's who I'm going to pick. That's going to be my old Apu. And the way um, Shutter G actually found out was um, he visited the set of Music Man. Or the Music Man. Music Room. Music Room. I don't <laughs> want to see Shutter G All right, All right Baxter. Music Man. Uh, <laughs> telling. Yeah, we have the Robert Bresson cut of the apartment. We need the <laughs> the Satajit Ray cut of the Music Man. Anyway, he visit he visited the set of Music Room because um, Satajit Ray was very important to him, and Satajit Ray introduced uh, Chatterjee as to um, one of the actors. I forget which one um, from Music Room just said like, "Oh, this is uh, I forget what his first name is. Sorry." Um, 
It's uh, Sumitra Chatterjee. Sumitra. Yeah, Sumitra Chatterjee. This is Sumitra Chatterjee. He will play Apu in this in the third movie. And Sumitra Chatterjee's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Which would be a great way to get that news. That's cute. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so that is how he casts uh, Sumitra Chatterjee for the main role. And for the role of Aperna... I guess it seems like he just found this person at a children's little theater recital in Calcutta and was just like, oh, she works pretty well. And she he he liked the sort of energy he gave off. And I think, as we talk about it, the energy that she brings to that role is basically what makes most of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, also, something that's interesting is Shatterjee was... Uh, Sumitra Shatterjee was... Um, very unsure of himself as an actor making the movie because he did not consider himself photogenic or very good looking on screen. Um, Janet, okay. what would you have to say <laughs> to Sumitra Chatterjee? He was wrong. Um, <laughs> I, I will say he's no. I mean, he's an extremely attractive guy. Um, I definitely do think he looks better in the second half of the movie or in the end when he's like shaggier. Um, even though mm-hmm. it's more the shaggy, right, shaggy apu. Um, even though I know it's more of a sign of him, like, letting himself go, right? When he's emo, when he's <laughs> right, emo and exactly. totally dysfunctional. When he's, he's lost, you know, the will to go on um, is when he really looks excellent. Um, but that is, that is, it's always so funny when you hear actors. I feel like there's all kinds of actors and actresses who always say that. And you're just like, okay. <laughs> I know everyone has their own insecurities, but come on, man. Yeah, but I mean, this was also, like, his very sure, first role. Sure, and yeah. um, I would say... <laughs> I don't think Sumitra Chatterjee is maybe, like... He almost reminds me of Adam Driver, where he doesn't have, like, the very picturesque... Oh, sure. Sort he's, of not, traditionally he's not Shah Rukh Khan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's, he's very unique-looking, but there is something to mm-hmm. the way he looks at his presence that, it, at least to me, was just... It's just so watchable right. and electrified. Um, and yeah, to me, he's very photogenic. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the way the third movie opens, which... I felt like, given how fucking tragic the second movie mm-hmm. is, we cut to, like, ten years later, he's very alone mm-hmm. at the end of the second movie, and he could stay very alone and very sad about it, but at least he, he's, like, taking care of himself. Mm-hmm. He he go, he wakes up, he goes out, he does some squats, mm-hmm. he does some exercises, mm-hmm. he meditates a little, he shaves. Mm-hmm. Like, I like to see that there, there has been this progress... In, progress in between these two right <laughs> i turned into bugs bunny right there for a second yeah but he has he has routines you know he has he has a life you know like he's, he's yeah he's, he's found he's a way to make himself in the situation he is in at this point mm-hmm. um so he also has this friend um uh oh i don't i don't think i wrote down his mm-hmm. name but it's pulu mm-hmm. yeah 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 um he, he uh goes out and gets food with him he yeah. plays his uh, flute. Good buddy. He tries to shut himself away from the girl next door, who's totally into him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? <laughs> Nick's just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. She it's just is. so funny that you see her like checking him out, and he just like hides, <laughs> uses his flute to push the window he, shut. He doesn't even want to go over and shut them himself. He's just sitting on the bed, yeah. just poking them. Um, I thought that was really funny. Yeah, it was very humorous. What did you guys think of this opening of? Uh, Apu, his friend, his lifestyle, uh, and how it kind of separates itself from the second movie somewhat. Cause, especially because the second movie picks up almost immediately mm-hmm. after the second, uh, the first movie ends. Yeah. 
so he's not like he's not killing it <laughs> um, but but yeah. he's doing okay and he seems to be pretty he seems to be happy enough like his friend offers him a job when they go mm. to dinner and um he he turns him down he's like eh like I don't want to be a clerk and go clerking. I just I lo- I want to do my own thing. I'm writing a book. I chill. I ignore the girl next door. <laughs> he's he's content yeah. enough. Um, he seems pretty well adjusted for mm-hmm. the most part. Yeah, that's what I liked about it too. Is basically he just basically he he's he's functional. Like you see him functioning, and you wouldn't you you would believe it if this movie started, you know, however many years in the future, and he was just a mess. Like after he's lost everything, yeah. you know. So if he he could be not really functional but like you said the fact that he he takes care of himself and he has a friend you know he's he's doing his thing um i like that it establishes right away especially because so much time has passed we get caught up very quickly on where he's at in his life mm-hmm. um i i like when he's mo- like basically mog- monologuing his life story as a as the book he is writing <laughs> he's so mm-hmm. into it um and then his friend just destroys him. He's like, oh, you're going to have to make up all the love stuff because you don't know anything about that. <laughs> have you even met a woman? I like his friend. <laughs> yeah, Pulu's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's, mm-hmm, that's a good yeah. burn. <laughs> anyway, so the, the story really gets kicked off when um, Pulu invites him to go to a, his cousin, I believe's wedding? Yeah, it's the friend's cousin, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, basically... I. Th- I th- they don't exactly say what happened to the husband, but the husband goes mad, yeah. in quotes, and basically just gets very hot-tempered, cold feet, and it's just like, yeah, I'm gonna... The family's, like, having to carry him mm-hmm. away, and it's just not as time. The it was, like, heat, heat-induced delirium or something like yeah, that. Yeah, there was some some sort of implication that that was maybe what happened to him, but yeah, he, mm-hmm. he uh, loses it a little bit. I think it's interesting because they they introduce this character as he's like being carried in mm-hmm. by the um, family of the people that are marrying him mm-hmm. off, and they're singing for he's a jolly good fellow, which was so weird to me because so much of the music, both diegetic and mm-hmm. non-diegetic in these movies, feels so rooted in yeah. India, and here comes this Get your like colonialist influence it, there, right? Yeah, because yeah. I, I did the same thing. I kind just, of was like, what? And then Matt was like, eh, "I was like, I know right. this song. Yeah, that's that's got to be your sort of British colonial uh, influence mm-hmm. there." Anyway, uh, and it's at this point where the tradition versus the modernist um, conflict arises, mm-hmm. where astrologically the daughter has to get married on this day, otherwise she will be the spinster be for the rest. Yeah. Unfit right. for marriage. Mm-hmm. Of course. Because she can't get married Which, any other day. We haven't said it. She is yes. 13. Yeah. <laughs> and the actress herself is like 14 years old, right? Like, she is extremely yeah. old. Yeah. Or I don't I don't know how old... Yeah, I don't know how old Aparna is supposed to be, but the actress was cast at 13, and the movie came out yeah. when she was 14. Yeah, so, so that's presumably how old, while filming right. at 13. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. That is young. Yeah. Well, that's one of the um, interesting things to tie it back with... Um, Durga at like the beginning where you know she talks about how she's not going to get because you know she has a friend who's already getting married you know and so that yeah. that was mm-hmm. you know that was the age at which that was happening for people if, if we're talking about time and place mm-hmm. being different yeah, exactly there it is yeah. well I watched an interview with um, the actress who who plays Aparna um, mm-hmm. is still alive 
and she's talking about how young she was and she said that her grandmother um was married at so i mean this is right. two generations yeah. even before her but her grandma was uh, I think married at the age of seven and had her first child at the age oh. of twelve. Whoa! Yeah. So, some there's some stuff that are not that that it's. Yeah. <laughs> Nick doesn't different. Even know well, how to get there. <laughs> I know it's like that. You know, different different cultural norms of a different time, and yeah. <laughs> I'm just yeah. leaving it a yeah. you know everyone <laughs> everyone knows. <laughs> we don't have to say yeah. it. <laughs> anyway, um and Pulu basically is like Apu, you need to marry the girl. <laughs> Which I feel like in a different movie this could be like some crazy romantic oh, totally. comedy. Totally. You could see this. I, <laughs> I wonder if there I, is. I wrote yeah. that. It feels it it feels like a rom-com contrivance mm-hmm. and it, it actually did take me out of this movie for a little bit. But fortunately, the scene of the first scene that they have together mm-hmm. um, is so strong that you kind of it, get you, away from it. If you sink, you sink into what what is happening. Right. But I think a good thing is Apu yeah. challenges this because I think he knows how absolutely ridiculous this mm-hmm. is. But mm-hmm. I think it also goes back to how important the the traditional half of India is recognized throughout all the course of these movies. Um, it just for some reason it was very important to be astrologically aligned um for your marriage mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and i love the scene where they ask him to do it because it feels like there's this wide shot of a poo alone with this river and just mm-hmm. nothing in the background and then it zooms out even wider and it's just this crowd of people that are like begging him to do it right it's he's he's very alone and very in a very claustrophobic and almost threatening situation mm. it's very pressuring um but yeah in the end apu being the kind person he is because he's very cool mm. it's like yeah well i'll get married um and so yeah, and he says he does it um in the bedroom scene he's like it's basically out of nobility like it, it was in a way doing it as a favor to her even though we didn't know her because what other option Right. did she have mm-hmm. and i mean like we can look at it from our own lens and think well that's mm-hmm. ridiculous um like you're not going to be unfit for marriage at, at this young age but you know when you take into account like it's it's not just a different time and place but it's it's like ray's reflection of something like this mm-hmm. different era even a generation before when they're filming it um you just kind of have to go along with it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, but I love that bedroom. That bedroom scene is oh, so good. Oh, it's so good. Two of them. I, you could make an entire. I, I remember I sent you one time when Nick watched High and Low for mm-hmm. the first time. I sent him a video essay about just basically describing blocking mm-hmm. using only one mm-hmm. scene from High and Low. You could do the exact same thing with just the yeah. scene. Yeah, with the two of them talking and like the bed in between. Yeah, them. and how and how yeah. at certain points they they cross over a certain line of like the bedpost mm-hmm. or something and. Mm-hmm. And then finally, at the end, they're both just sitting on opposite sides of the bed, and there's no direct thing blocking their uh, viewpoint right. from each other. Mm-hmm. It's so good. And I love just how they're so uneasy with it at first. And um, 
he, he asks her like can you endure being poor and she says yes and at, 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 i think it's that point where apu officially crosses the frame to the other mm-hmm. side of the bed like he's like oh this might be okay yeah um but as they mentioned, she was supposed to be married to a super rich dude. Mm-hmm. Like this was not supposed to be her destiny. Yeah. And she says she's going to be okay with it. But, you know, they get to Apu's house and it's, it's bachelor patty. Right. I would yeah. say That's fair. Um, there's a hole in the curtain, which she looks through and just sees this street and, mm-hmm. you know, this child kind of growing up, you know, on the asphalt and she cries and it, yeah. it like it, it, it it does affect her, but then transitioning to the next scene, she doesn't let it affect her in the end. She's going to make the best of it as possible. And she, she's he, like, Apu's like, are you laughing? And she's like, no, I'm crying. Mm. But she starts just joking around with it. And she's like, you start to see them bond yeah. over this shared circumstance that neither of them necessarily wanted. She, wa- I don't know if she wanted to be married off, but she at least planned on being married off to like... Right. Better circumstances, like, yeah. Yeah, and he expected to just be a bachelor and do his mm-hmm. stuff, and but they're making the most out of it, and I like that she doesn't take his shit. Right. <laughs> like, she mm-hmm. doesn't take his shit questions. She doesn't take his shit mm-hmm. statements, and uh, a lot of these scenes together, it feels like Durga in the first one, where it's just two people, mm-hmm. kind of in love, and one is a platonic sibling love and this one's a romantic love kind of blossoming in the time of Apu and Aparna being together is actually like so short short. yeah but but it feels like so long and just the the switch from her being sad to her just like starting to give him some Mm -hmm. some sass back when he like wakes (laughs) up and looks at her she's like I'm not new here like what are you looking at Um, or like the message on the cigarette box. It's like, Hey, you said you weren't going to smoke until yeah. after dinner. Um, and when he's standing in the doorway, she's trying to like do chores and she's like, get the yeah. fuck out of my way, man. Yeah. <laughs> like you have no, um, yeah, it's, like they just, he, he builds up this relationship so quickly. Um, in a way that a lot of times is kind of annoying in movies where it's like oh like i get it they're in love but it's just it's done so well here like it's done in the small moments and one line of dialogue at most in certain points were just them doing stuff together Mm -hmm. i I, there's only one comparison for me and that's the first 15 minutes of up like it feels like that where it's just able to so perfectly dilute love Mm -hmm. to something so simple Mm -hmm. yeah um, yeah, it's the glances that they shoot at each other. Yeah, um, and each glance gets slightly more stronger than the last mm-hmm. one. Yeah, um, my my favorite part of them being together is um, when he has the he's like f- feeling a lot of self pity about you know not only was she going to marry a rich guy she was already mm-hmm. rich yeah. yeah and he's poor and he's and he says you know I could take on another tutoring job that way we could hire a maid that way you don't have to do all this work and you'll mm-hmm. be able to relax. And you'd think that someone who, like, grew up very pampered and everything, suddenly having to do housework would be like, yeah, Yeah. do it. Like, I don't want to have to do housework. (laughs) And she's like, no, quit your other tutoring job and Mm -hmm. come home so we can hang out more. Yeah. And that's... That's when, like, my heart just yeah. melted. I'm like, oh, I was this like, is, yes, uh, <laughs> this is adorable. Everything's gonna be <laughs> fine, folks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that that scene where like 
these two people have just met what are they gonna like distance themselves more so they can do less housework mm-hmm. like no they're gonna mm-hmm. do the housework together yeah they're gonna yeah. be to- oh. Oh. yeah no that that's I around think- the time when i was started going like okay well this is too good to be true what <laughs> 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 terrible thing is gonna be happening my my favorite part of the these whole scenes was there's the scene of them again eating rice out of a bowl mm-hmm. with their hands yep. um as the trophy much much right, exactly. <laughs> they refuse to that watch the they're movie. eating they're eating this rice with their hands out of this bowl and there's a Pernus sitting there on the left just fanning a poo mm-hmm. as he's eating oh. which it could be such this like Oh, she's doting on him as he gets to eat, and it zooms in, and then it cuts, and it zooms out, and now a poo's just like fanning her like crazy and as she's eating. And that's something that uh, his mom always did in the first movie. Yeah. He always saw um, for the both of the kids, you know, he, when a poo would be eating, his mom would do that, and when Norga is sick, you see her faint. You know, and so I think it's just it's this yeah expression of you know caring about each other, and it, it's reciprocal. It for was them. so cute to see them both. Mm-hmm be yeah. doing it they're equals here they're right making the most of their life together mm-hmm. oh it's so perfect yeah. <laughs> anyway um yeah and then <laughs> wait 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 wait. i because there's so many I, I have to talk about two more scenes because i'm gonna make the happiness loss last as long as before we get back to being sad for a little bit there's also the scene where he's in the cart and there's a great line where he says, "Oh, I haven't written a light in my book for months now since we've since we've met." Mm-hmm. And it sounds like he's gonna be self pitying, and she's like, "Oh, is this my fault?" And he's like, "No, it's to your credit." Mm-hmm. And it's like, "Oh, yeah, <sighs> that's such a good line." Um, one of my favorite lines um, is also that uh, takes place in the same uh, like conversation, like in the cab or mm-hmm. carriage or whatever they're riding in. She, they're talking, um, like he starts using English words mm-hmm. and he says something about wife and she says, I know what wife means. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, you don't, but I do. Mm. And it's just like a great play on like, literally she knows what it means, but he's saying like, He's obviously right. being like, metaphorical. What, yeah. what you mean to me, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, there's another good line um, there where... It's just yeah. so sweet. Th- they are very poor, and she's, you know, like, getting on him about spending money on a nice cab. Mm. And he and it, he's like, but I couldn't be alone with mm-hmm. you if we were taking, like, the mm-hmm. bus. And it's like, it's impo- what's important to him to spend whatever money they have on is just by making what they have more special mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, more connected. Um, and then we kind of see that later in the movie when he is on the bus with a bunch of people and she mm-hmm. writes him a letter after <laughs> she goes home to have her baby. And he's trying to read this like love letter where she's teasing him. Like, and he's got this shitty mirror. And he's like, you again. so happy with it. And then the dude next to him just like <laughs> shoots him daggers. It's like, what the fuck right, I'm reading yeah. a letter. Like get off me, man. Step off. Um, yeah. And the other thing is when she actually leaves. Oh, it was so hard to watch this time mm. knowing that that was the last time they got yeah. to see each other. It's those goddamn mm. trains, man. God! Um, anyway. But they're just like, she's like joking to him like what he has to do when she's gone. Mm. And he's like trying to keep up with the train as she's like nagging him about all this stuff. Mm. It's so sweet. 
It's the best relationship. And then she dies. (laughs) Yes. Like everybody else. (laughs) She dies. And, um, Jana, you got, you, you sent us a really good message Mm. during this part of the scene when he finds out, uh, that she's dead. What, what did you say to what, us? What, what did I say? Now I can't even remember. Uh, oh, you say? said, uh, you said, uh, oh. wow, don't piss off Apu. Oh, right. And then you were like, oh, he punched her. Right, yep, exactly. Yeah, that was... <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Um, I, I did like that, you know, Apu, to contrast it with the first movie, like you were saying, when Dorga dies, when he's a young boy, he just sort of shuts down. And goes into, like, uh, more of a robotic mode. And then when his mom dies, he collapses, but kind of, um, other, you know, otherwise is pretty stoic and then just leaves. He picks himself right, and he goes exactly. back Exactly. And so now, it's like, this, though, is, this is the, the final straw this is for it. poor Apu. Um. And that, that, <laughs> that person comes in and is like, everyone has oh. their suffering, but a man must not break right. down like this. I was like, yeah, that, that guy no. can fuck right off. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say that to my boy. Right. Yeah. Um, ugh, poor, poor Apu. It was just, ugh. Yeah. Sad. Mm. And then he has his emo face. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, first he, he, what I have in my notes is he Joe marches his own uh, novel. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which Joe March does do that to her own novel in the second part when she she burns her manuscript and starts from oh, the beginning. Sure. I was gonna bring up Joe earlier too, even before you brought it, Beth. By the way, back in the first one with the um with when the mom has to sell her her items, I was like, it's like Joe March selling her hair. Um, so oh, there's, that's there's so all true. Kinds of <laughs> women <laughs> references throughout. That's is that how we're gonna promote this? If you like Little Women, hey. watch Satyajit I, Ray. I would. I would <laughs> stand behind that uh, recommendation um, but yeah, yeah anyway. so then Apu goes into his sort of dejected uh, finally reached the end of his rope kind of phase yeah. and it's at this point where the movie just says you know what we've had a bunch of train metaphors let's just give you all mm-hmm. the train metaphors yeah. which he stands on those tracks it seems like contemplating mm-hmm. suicide and this train just run by mm-hmm. and hits a pig Yeah, and it just starts squealing mm-hmm. and it's just like Oh, it's like, this is pain. Yeah. <laughs> it's so emo. Yeah. yeah. That reminded me of a brief encounter, actually. There's a oh, similar sure. scene. And, and then he rips up the manuscript and he just like lets it fly out into the wind. And it's just, mm-hmm. Ugh. Anyway, um, Pulu then finds, actually, he finds Kajal, Apu's son, first, just being a, quite a rascal, mm-hmm. shooting... Mm-hmm. Birds dead with slingshots and just random people walking by, including him. And without this father figure or even any sort of real parental figure in his life at all, he just—he's wild. He's left in a traditional household that will beat him for anything he does wrong, and that's not going to help the situation. Um, and something interesting that, again, I'm going to go back to this, uh, the Norman Holland um, Sharper Focus essays on the movies. He mentions that Kajal is brought on, the first scene you see him in, he's wearing this very intense mask. It's like it's like a lion almost. It's a, a threatening mask. When he takes the mask off, he's just, you know, the simple kid. Yeah, so Pooh sees Kajal and then he tracks down a Pooh who's 
in a mining quarry, it seems like. Yeah, and I thought that was interesting, and I, I doubt this was purposeful, um, but Aparna was very against him smoking. Mm, yeah. And, and so he, he takes a job that's like, what's the most unhealthy job for your lungs? Is it the one that has a disease named after it? Coal working? <laughs> Well, there you go. Yeah, I'm Next gonna go. I'm gonna go Kohler. <laughs> I I can't imagine that was purposeful, um, but I I just found it kind of interesting. You never know, Satajit Ray, genius right there. He could yeah. easily be doing it, but um, yeah. So we meet Kajal, and uh, Apu Lu comes back and begs Apu to go find his son. And at first, Apu's like, "He is not my child," which I'm just like, "Well, fuck you, Apu." <laughs> That's like the one time in the entire trilogy I'm just like, come on, man. You dick. Yeah, you come on. But yeah, he turns it around pretty quickly, at least. And just, he comes back and Kajala's sick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, they fucking better not. <laughs> I don't remember how I reacted the first time watching this because it's been yeah. a while. But I was just like, Nick and Jenna are probably just like, the fuck they right, do uh, yeah <laughs> it's like you cannot you absolutely cannot with this <laughs> no, child no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. anyway you can't go no. to the well yeah. six times. Five, <laughs> five times five is okay times. the sixth time would have been too much <laughs> yeah but anyway and there's a good scene where he goes up to the roof and he sees kajal and he can't do much but he's there in his heart and then he starts trying to connect with him. He buys him a goddamn black oh train, God. which I was just like, nail meathead mm. again. Um, and Kajal's just like, no, yeah. you're nobody yep. to me. You're a stranger. And like, I totally get where of Kajal's course. coming from. Yeah, and I love the touch where before Apu comes back, he actually talks to one of the workers. He's like, oh, my dad in Calcutta will mm-hmm. come beat you up. I like that. <laughs> yes. And the guy's like, and the guy's just like, Sh- like okay, shut up. Like, right, like, okay, okay. Brat. And then, and then when his dad is there as a, like a real entity, he's like, I'm going to throw a rock at you. <laughs> yeah. like, you suck. No. Yeah, that was funny. He, he knows he's his dad, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. So, cause he just getting to the very no final scene with him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so then it gets to the very final scene, which is. One of my favorite ending scenes mm-hmm. oh, ever. It's so good. Nick is about to it's die so over good, here. that ending. It made, uh. makes the whole the whole journey worth it. Where Kajala starts acting up again, the um, father-in-law mm-hmm. grabs the cane and goes to beat him up again, mm-hmm. and like it's just like the scenario of the mom that used to beat mm-hmm. Durga up, like it's all coming full circle, mm-hmm. and. Apu just grabs yeah. the cane and he's just like, no. Yeah. And at that point, like, he has stopped, like, this tradition from hurting the younger generation mm-hmm. again, almost. But he's like, Kajal, I don't mean anything to Kajal as much as I want right. it to happen. He's like, I'll just leave. Mm-hmm. And ugh, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to maybe get a little choked. <laughs> but there's. It, well, it's. <laughs> Go on. It's it's sort of like what the mom says about him coming home mm-hmm. from school. He's not going right. to force yeah. his son to right. go with him, even though he like the kid's right. like four or five. Like <laughs> he could pick he this could kid up and, and haul to. him out with him. Yeah. 
Yeah, if he wanted to, mm-hmm. he, he could just be like, mm-hmm. look, I'm taking you and you don't have a choice. But he's like, no, right. I'm, I'm like, even though he's so young, I'm going to respect that he doesn't want to go with me. And right. why would he want to go with me? Like, what have I, what, I have done nothing to mm-hmm. earn this. But he so, stopped the cane. And I think at yeah, that point yeah. he starts walking away. Mm-hmm. And there's the shot where Apu realizes he's being watched and he kind of turns around and you see on the other side of the frame is Kajal standing there on the road outside of the house looking at mm-hmm. him. And I just, I lost it watching it, guys. I was just like... Yeah. I don't know. How'd you guys react to that shot? <laughs> I mean, it was... I, I just found the whole, like, ending sequence so like overwhelming emotionally like i just think it like you said with everything coming full circle um and it's so it feels so perfectly crafted <laughs> to you know to really yeah. pull at the heartstrings mm-hmm. and then the conversation they have oh is what does it for me when he's like uh, will you take yeah. me to my father and he's like who are you yeah. i'm your friend like we kind of knows that it's not mm-hmm. perfect no. where they're at but it's he can't make somewhere. up for not being the father so far, mm-hmm. but he can be this yeah. friend right. that will lead him to being a father in the future. Right. It's so optimistic. <laughs> like you really, you really feel like they could have a, a good relationship you know, like you said, it's not, mm-hmm. they don't have any relationship right now, but it feels like there's a real possibility of one. Yeah. yeah. And um, then it cuts to the father-in-law. Well, they like, should, should you go tell your father, your grandpa, He's like, no. He's yeah, like, that was funny. <laughs> nah, we're good. And and the the grandpa is just standing in the distance, in one hand holding the cane of tradition that he was going to beat the son mm-hmm. with, and in the other hand holding the plastic toy trade of how destructive modernity could be. Mm-hmm. Like the 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 train the train did not do that greatest stuff. It took people away. It ran over pigs. Like it barreled through the village mm-hmm. in the beginning, but mm-hmm. like. There, there's good parts of tradition and good parts of modernity and bad parts of both. Right. And it's at this point where just this figure that represents that he's holding both in each hand watches them go, and it's just like accepting them both on their own. And God, the the face that Sumitra Chatterjee has, mm-hmm. just the fucking happiest smile I've ever seen. When he's carrying the boy on his shoulders. Oh, perfect. Mm-hmm. It's so yeah. good, and we, again, we haven't really brought up the music mm-hmm. again since the beginning, but the the song that Ravi mm-hmm. uses to close the movie is just yeah, it's it's really good. One. Yeah, Janet, you mentioned you made a sound effect oh, at some point during the I, ending. Can you replicate the sound <laughs> effect for us? It was it was just like when I was talking about being overwhelmed. It was like a just a combination like shout <laughs> groan, just like a I, yeah. It was it was. <laughs> almost inhuman but yeah that just those final moments with the sun do you know what was him. the exact part that did it um i think i think it was the will you take me to my father part was probably <laughs> that was like, just really oh yeah I, I i made a joke when i was watching it last night and you mm-hmm. mentioned that that there's the sound that george michael from arrested <laughs> development makes when he gets broken up <laughs> by yeah. may whitney so, yeah. <laughs> it was it was <laughs> It was like a yeah, exactly. Um, and I made a sound similar yeah. to that during, when he said, "Who am I?" And I'm like, "I'm your friend." Yeah, <laughs> it's so the, the whole thing. It's just like I was saying. It, it, I think, and I think it's really at least it was for me really important to have it end that strongly because you know 
Mm-hmm. We've all been through a lot by the end of these three movies. Yeah. I mean, Abu specifically, but even the audience just <laughs> watching it, um, that I think if it had ended bleakly, um, movies would still be great. It had just been like, it, again. Right. The movies would still be excellent, but I wouldn't feel the same way. You know, I like, I maybe I'll watch mm-hmm. these again someday. Like, I probably would not feel that mm-hmm. way <laughs> if it just ended with misery. Did you feel the same way, Nick? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, I'm glad after um, the apartment Robert Brisson cut, we can agree that happy endings are good sometimes. Yes, I like a happy ending, <laughs> if, if done well. Um, I need to not go imminently, right. but pretty soon, because it's starting to sound like uh, Lord, Lord <laughs> of the Flies. Uh, anyway. With, 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 with my little... Uh, <laughs> your little... Uh, your Durga. <laughs> yeah. um, I've got yes. my quote from ebert pulled up and i'm curious if it's if we Probably. all have the same I guess so I feel like it could be. is it the very first sentence oh i have the very last oh sentence. no <laughs> i have oh, all right mine the 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 great sad gentle sweep of the apu trilogy remains in the mind of the moviegoer as a promise of what film mm-hmm. can be that's a promise that has very rarely been matched mm-hmm. and then he, yeah. he basically echoes that sentiment in the last sentence where he says um, right? Yeah, it is yeah, like it a really prayer is. affirming that this is what cinema can be, no matter how far in our cynicism we may stray. There was so much negative cynicism throughout the movie. Yeah. Probably my favorite quote was when he said, the three films which made India and Satyajit Ray between 1950 and 1959 swept the top prizes at Cannes, Venice, and the London Film Festival, created a new cinema for India whose prolific film industry had traditionally stayed within the narrow confines of swashbuckling musical romances. Mm. Which I feel like he's diluting some of Bollywood down to at that point. Yeah. But Yeah. Well they they do um like a lot of what Ray was doing was um counter to like the Bollywood or traditional Indian movie where you know, there was musical numbers mm. and it was a little bit more upbeat and had bigger production value, whereas this was, you know, based on or not based on, but uh like uh, a spiritual successor to bicycle thieves, which is like so unlike those um can so just real quick we talked a little bit uh i think at the end of last week's episode about how in in off air we've talked about how there's like some boyhood comparisons um and i think the stuff with the mom fits like we talked about the the um patricia arquette Mm -hmm. it's my fucking funeral scene is sort of similar to the mom's arc in the second movie but i want to make a uh different analogy that i think works better um, at least in terms of like how the movies, these three movies are shot, and that is with mm-hmm. Moonlight. Yes, because it's another thing where you're seeing somebody grow up in each chapter. You're seeing it played by a different mm-hmm. actor, um, but it's just done so well. Where each of these actors, like you, believe that it's the same person. Mm-hmm. You believe it's the same child, and you're seeing how these traumas of their past have uh, mm-hmm. been re- are being reflected. And, lu- as, and as luckily, at finally at the end, you're just like. Right. Right, and it, okay. and it ends somewhat optimistically, yeah. like maybe things will be okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. I, I will say, because again, I'm not the biggest fan of Boyhood, but that aside, mm-hmm. you guys love it. That's fine. Um, I like that the mom, at least in this, is not as embittered as it was my fucking mm-hmm. funeral and is more just accepting of her kid kind of aging. Sure. It, it, so again, it felt a little... Also different, again, circumstances, too, and what a the expectation sure. of a no, that, mom that's, in the 21st fair, century but... who's like, why the fuck is this happening to me? Um, <laughs> and isn't, she's also 
she also got like more screwed over with a divorce and stuff and so there's a lot more bitterness there yeah. this is just like yeah. tragedy after tragedy you know um Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of screwing over that month. Yeah. I did want to mention. I found it interesting that in the Ebert book, the image they use does not have a poo in it. Sure, yeah. It has Durga and the mom. Yeah. He also gets uh, the timeline completely wrong. He does. It. It's I so frustrating that. after like, watching it so recently. Bring that up that he inaccurately describes Multiple what happens times. in each movie, like. I he wondered if Roger up. Ebert watched this like ten years ago and was just like, you know what? He, he, it's semi fresh. I think the, that, that must. Have, he that has must a line about like him. having rewatched them recently, and I'm like, how, how recently are we talking? He says, I watched the Apu trilogy recently over a period of three nights, and I'm like, how recently, <laughs> Ebert? Because yeah, you you talk about his mom in the third movie, and it's like, no. Anyway, yes. Before before Nick's kids start worshiping a pig's head. Yes. Um. <laughs> Let's move on to our ratings. Yes. Uh, Nick, do you give this a thumbs down? (laughs) No. Get out of here. Yes. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Yeah. I think I'll maybe go a thumbs up, too. Mm -hmm. Um, Nick, what would you rate the movie out of four? Four. Jana? Four. And I am a ten out of four. (laughs) A twelve. Three fours. Exactly. Twelve out of four. That's a perfect idea. Anyway... So, thank you for listening to the podcast. Um, you can find us at Twitter and Letterboxd at Great Movies Pod. Um, you can also find our dear friend Scott Brady, who did the cover art for the podcast, at S Brady Artist on Twitter. And that is all for now. Oh, next week. Should we say next oh. week what we're doing? Oh, yeah. God damn it. I thought well, I did it. <laughs> no, no, before, no, before that, we're doing uh, oh, awards. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, we yeah. need to we talk about very, this. Yeah we, have a, yeah, we have a very special episode next week. <laughs> <laughs> that even I am just now remembering, even though we've talked about it a ton. Yeah, we're going to be hol- yep. holding a season finale um, as we have 99 of the 100 movies. Um, this will be the end of the first season. We're going to wrap up. We're going to give out some awards. We're going to have some fun little uh, corners of discussion to talk about, wrapping up some of the films that we've watched. And it should be fun. And I'm really excited to talk about that. And Yeah, I'm pumped. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's going to be great. going to see what happens. Who will win the best picture of season one? <laughs> I, I hope I know what's going to win. <laughs> but anyway. We'll see. We will see. Yep. All right. That's it, guys. Roger up. All righty. All right. Roger up. Save your kids, Nick. <laughs> and when I go to the movies, I am that person on the screen. I am having vicariously an experience that happened to someone else. And that makes me a better person. That to see good films and to see important films is one of the most profoundly civilized experiences that we can have as people. And recording. Looks like I'm recording. Very cool. Yeah, everything's looking good. Whew. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Welcome to the Great Movies Podcast. A retrospect. Oh, I'm restarting. <laughs> My nerves are off today. <laughs> Uh, welcome to the Great Movies Podcast, a retrospective film review show where we count down and discuss the uh, Roger Ebert great movies um, from his seminal film. Oh my god! <laughs> do you just, just do you have it written down? <laughs> I took pages of notes and just forgot to write down the introduction. Anyway, you know, I'll know why we're here. <laughs> we're going with it.
Um, All right, great. Today we are discussing the Apu trilogy. Um, the trilogy consists of the films Pater Panchali, uh, Aparjito, and uh, Apu Sansar. Um, really hope I'm getting those names correct. Um, in English, at least, which I can pronounce with full certainty, um, the first film is called The Song of the Little Road. Uh, the second film is The Unvanquished, and the third film is The World of Apu. Um, I want to start off by um, just quickly talking about some of the cast. Um, the cast stars Supir Penjiri, um, Pinaki Sengupta. Oh my god, okay, I'm totally restarted. I forgot, I didn't even, we didn't even announce our names. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> didn't even introduce ourselves. Okay, uh, we're just going to restart. It's fine. I didn't even, I didn't even notice. Oh my god, I'm out of it. All right, we're going to stop from the top. All right. Okay.